This is Opposed on the Matrix. It's another Monday again. It's the 29th of July, 2019. The year of our Lord, 2019. And uh, tonight we have a special guest with us. We have Russ Tanner from Global Skywatch. Um, to give you a little bit of an overview of what Global Skywatch is, uh, Russ is uh, uh, what I consider uh, an expert in, in chemtrails. And tonight you're going to learn more about chemtrails. And... Uh, and Russ is kind of unique when it comes to chemtrails because he's actually categorized them. And he has, um, uh, they, each one of them has a different trait and has a different uh, property about it. And Russ will go into that tonight and explain that. But um, he was on the show, oh, probably about, uh, probably about three or four years ago. And, uh, you know, I'm like, wow, we, we got to get this guy back on the show because, you know, I'm sure things are changing or probably getting worse or better or whatever and but we just want to find out more so um with that i'm, I'm gonna greet you russ hello russ hello thanks for having me on tonight oh hey our pleasure man our pleasure and and also we have uh our always co-hosts uh jim um wilhelmson and uh eric smith hi guys hello hey all right good deal so um anyway uh you are the uh, administrator of a, a website called Global Skywatch, and uh, I think you have a Global Skywatch radio. And on Facebook, you have Chemtrails Chem Global Skywatch, a uh, very interesting site. So um, without further ado, I, I, I would just like to, you know, for people that aren't familiar with what Chemtrails are, and I mean, you really have to have lived in a box in, in somewhere uh, underground or something to not have seen them and to wonder what they are. But uh, if you would, would, Russ, if you would explain what chemtrails are, um, in a nutshell, we can go deeper into that later, but uh, also and how they differ from chemtrails and, and, and the such. Absolutely, yeah. Chemtrails, if anyone's looked up to the sky and they see trails coming out of jets, those are chemtrails. Um, these are, we've, they've been pretty extensively tested. Rain has been tested. We've had scientists that have done tests testing we have whistleblowers and what we've uh, been able to learn to this date is that uh, these these uh, aerosols that are being released contain um, metals that are toxic metals and also chemicals and even biologics we believe meaning viruses and bacteria mm -hmm. and I know to people listening this may sound extreme it may sound like a conspiracy theory but let me tell you that this is as real as it gets we are living in a time like no other, and uh, this is really happening, folks, and this is why people, there are many people out there who are uh, bringing attention to this aerosolization of the sky and the poisoning of the earth, which is happening intentionally. This is not an accident. This is an intentional operation, and, uh, and I'm glad that you uh, are covering this on your show, so I appreciate it very much. Hey, yeah, Russ, for, for some people that um, aren't maybe familiar they're always told that all oh, those are contrails. Cause, so maybe can you define for our audience just the, what is a contrail and why is what we're seeing not a contrail? Okay. Well, that's a, that's a great subject and a very controversial subject. And that's why it's great to cover it because 
Uh, chemtrails, that stands for chemical trails, and it means, of course, there's artificially artificial things being injected into the engines or into the fuel that are being dispersed and eventually reach ground level, which I attest to because I taste and smell them when they do this from the very beginning uh, of when they did this in our area. And uh, the idea of a contrail, condensation trail, uh, the concept of that is that uh, is the concept that that jet engines will emit condensation, which is water vapor, which uh, is claimed to be a byproduct of uh, combustion of jet fuel, which is basically kerosene. Uh, the only care, the thing that we got to be very careful about in this idea of of uh, contrails is that atmospheric conditions are rarely proper for the formation of contrails and for myself as a lifelong sky watcher and I used to collect pictures of jets I've lived near air force bases I've lived in the busiest air spaces in the United States or at least a few of them and watched jets all my life since long, young childhood and I've never seen a trail long or short come out of a jet until the day uh, except at an air show there they do it intentionally um, never seen a trail come out of a jet of a high-bypass turbofan engine which are the jet engines that you see on uh, virtually all the jets today, whether they're commercial or military. So that's the difference between a, a chemtrail is a chemical trail that has intentional chemicals or toxins or some kind of substance in there that's a natural, and a condensation trail, which in my opinion are virtually non-existent. They're very, very, very rare, except under very particular conditions that don't exist very often in the atmosphere. And uh, that would be usually a very, very short trail that happens only at high altitudes, usually too high to be seen from the ground. Mm -hmm. So that's the difference. Yeah, yep. An interesting thing I saw in your, on your website, it says high bypass turbofans don't produce trails. When did they start introducing those, or do, do you know when they started introducing those engines into uh, onto airplanes? Because um, I know when I was a kid, I did see uh, contrails from time to time. You know, mm -hmm. not all the right. time. I, I lived by Detroit Metro Airport in the incoming flights, and... Um, Occasionally, you could see them, but they lasted only a few seconds. That's right. all. I mean, they don't last. That's the dip, the biggest difference. Even if you do see them, they're here and gone, almost like right away. They don't string out and cover half the sky in a, a few uh, hours like contrails do. So when, when did they go from conventional jet engines, do you know, anyway, uh, to these turbofans? Have you ever researched that? I did, and I used to have all these dates and times memorized. In fact, I've got a cheat sheet to remember, to rem remind myself of all these, uh, all the facts and figures. But back in the, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was 40s or 50s, they started introducing these. Um, and in the beginning, they were just what they were called turbofans. But really, we call them today uh, low-bypass turbofans. And then they moved to high-bypass turbofans. And what that means is that, in a high-bypass turbofan engine, most of the air is blown around the combustion area, which is in the center of the engine. So about 85% of the air that goes through these engines is not combusted. It's just air that's blown by the fan. And if you look into the front, if you're at an airport looking at your jet you're about to board, you'll see the big fans in the front. It's really like a prop, you know, of course, it's, but it's a scientifically designed fan. 85% of the air that enters that engine goes around it. So back in the, you know, middle 1900s, they introduced them. I have all the dates I can pull up on my little cheat sheet just to remind myself because it's been a long time since I looked at that data. Uh, but the first, uh, Turbofans were commercially uh, installed on the Comet, which was a 
um, uh, it was a British first, airplane, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, I it was the first. Yeah, it was the first uh, jet that had uh, turbofans. They were like built into the wing, so they don't look like it does today. But it was kind of the first. There was a couple crashes, so it got a little bit of a bad rap early on. But it also had great travel time, and there were some great advantages. Um, so that's you know that's when it began. And um, in in my own experience, I never saw a trail come out of a high bypass turbofan in my entire life. And I collected pictures. I had stacks of pictures uh, since childhood. No, none of the pictures showed any trails. They couldn't find one. There's never no such thing, in, at least in my experience. But in night in 2005, that's when I witnessed my very first one, and that's when it all began. Oh wow, 2005. Okay, okay. Um, you know, later on, we'll, we'll get into stories because Jim and I have both had uh, experiences with chemtrails and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and we've, you know, had uh, chronic problems ever since. Yeah. But, um, uh, so I know that I've, I've read on your site that um, we'll get into the real meat and potatoes that uh, you have them categorized. And um, so if you wanted to get into that, that'd be wonderful about uh, the categorization of, of the chemtrails, uh, what's in them and, and things like that. Um, I think that's very important because I think uh, some of the things that are in these chemtrails, especially the biologics and some of the metals and stuff are, uh, are leading a lot of us to uh, come down with chronic illnesses that, uh, uh, that need to be addressed. Yeah, there's, there's no question about it. I'm looking at my list of categorized chemtrails right now, mm -hmm. and there are there are types that are completely different from each other, and the spray patterns have been different, and they cause different yet overlapping symptoms. And um, there's a lot that could be said about these. Right now in the article I've written, there's uh, about 12 different types written here. Of course, the article is called The Eight Different Chemtrail Types. This was written years ago and I kept adding to it as new types were introduced because they have introduced new types. Hmm. So, yeah, so, and I know they've been sprayed. I know I mentioned 2005 earlier. I know there's a lot of records from even back to 1995 is when uh, they first started being seen in certain areas, like over certain cities and people started reporting them. And then there was a documentary made by Clifford Carnicom and um, then, but between 1995 and 2000 is when all of this stuff uh, just when the largest implementation of this program began judging by what we saw in the skies. So the different types I have categorized here, I'll run through the names. I have the salty metallic type. I name these kind of based basically on the taste and smell. I have okay. a very sensitive sense of taste and smell. That may seem strange to some people, but that, but if you look online, you'll see that there is a certain portion of the population uh, maybe I could have been a perfumer if I wanted to go and do a different, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. but but I really do have a very sensitive sense of taste and spell, smell. And between the people I've contacted online and in person, I've probably run into about a thousand people over the last uh, five to eight years who also smell and taste these. Mm -hmm. So salty metallic type is one of the names. That was the first type I experienced, actually. Then there's one I call the barium type. And in parentheses, I call it iron aluminum because it has kind of that taste. And I don't know what barium really tastes like, but by reverse engineering the symptoms that it causes, knowing what symptoms barium causes, and the fact that they spray these this particular type ahead of storms because barium salts are often used as a like a sequestering agent for moisture, and they will use this to hypernucleate the atmosphere and stop rain. And oh, the wow. rain will drop later, yeah, through hypernucleation. 
Then there's the drywall dust type, the acetone type, which smells and tastes just like acetone. In fact, acetone is used in some weather modification patents. Mm -hmm. Then I have one called the swamp water type, which tastes like... Uh, uh, we actually had that today very, very strong. I mean, we have been getting hit uh, very hard by that one today. And that one actually uh, tastes like algae and mushrooms. Or if you've been in a, in a very musty basement, mm -hmm. and you, even the taste of wet cardboard, if you've ever been in a room with wet cardboard and you taste that taste in the air, for those of you who are sensitive and perceptive, that's what the swamp water type is like. Mm -hmm. There's the pharmaceutical type, the sulfur type, the blunt metallic type, then the metallic chemical type, the pesticide type, which was very short-lived. And that's interesting. It happened, it was going on for a few months, and then boom, it just stopped. And a lot of people were talking about that online. I think it was too noticeable for too many people, so they couldn't continue that. Mm -hmm. Then there's uh, the one, the freshly cut grass type. Mm -hmm. uh, there's one that actually smells or uh, kind of like dryer sheets. And uh, but it will cover miles. You can drive for miles and miles and it smells like you're smelling dryer sheets in the air. I've never experienced this until chemtrails began. Huh. Then there's two more model cement glue type, which actually smells like toluene is my best assessment. It's like a, like a, that chemical that you smell in model cement. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and then the last one I call this is the newest type is the sharp metallic type. And this one off, often is accompanied with biologics. So I've written articles on this and take each of these types and give the characteristics, the symptoms it causes. And many of them are often combined. You know, the pharmaceutical type will be very often combined uh, with a model cement glue. In fact, it almost all, it very, very commonly is, especially at night. And the pharmaceutical type causes a lot of inflammation. <clears throat> So there's a lot of, lot of specific characteristics about the different types I've noticed, and I felt like it was my responsibility to write this stuff down for some scientists who might come along and really help our cause or for future generations who want to uh, research this and, and take it further. What about, um, I've noticed uh, several times around here, um, the smell of almost like an electrical fire. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a, you know, an electrical fire in your car uh, yep. But when the wires start burning, um, is there anything like that, or would that fall in any of those categories? Absolutely. That one is, I gave you the abbreviated name when I called it the model cement glue. If you look on my website, I actually call it the model cement slash burnt plastic type. Whoa. This is, yep, this is a type, this is actually the single most common type that's been sprayed over like the last eight years. And there are many types that are sprayed along uh, with this. Mm -hmm. And um, there's there are people online who've taken snow samples and they've melted it and they will actually say in the video this smells like model cement or like like the, the or like glue you know like a petroleum type of glue which is kind of the odor of toluene. Now the burnt plastic scent is is accompanied with that, and I usually use what's called a wet mask. We can get into that later if you want, but I will breathe through a wet mask. In fact. Before we started the show, I had it over my face because the, the we're under a horrible plume right now. Mm -hmm. And that mask will take on the odor very strong of whatever's in the air. It'll become concentrated in the mask, and then I'll go ahead and change the mask out so and, and get a fresh uh, set of claws. But I've actually had friends that when the model cement glue uh, and burnt plastic type, that type that's, that uh, we were talking about that you smelled, um, I've actually said, will you, I know it's weird, but smell this washcloth that's part of my wet mask and tell me what you smell. And I've had people say burnt rubber, uh, burnt plastic, 
electrical burn, the same things like what you're saying. Yes, that's what they smell. And I'm like, that's what I smell in the air when they're spraying this type. And this is the most common type for, I'd say the last, I'd have to look at my dates, but at least uh, six years, seven, eight years, it's a very common type they use. Well, let me ask you another question then, because I haven't really noticed any chemtrails specific in our area. Are, is there a way that they're spraying that we can't see? Absolutely. And this is where I'm, uh, it's very frustrating to me because I've been working for years to try to bring this in the public eye. And I saw in our area, I saw this happen three times where they changed trails from these low altitude persistent trails that would cover the sky that were just blatantly obvious Overnight, I've seen this happen three times here in Bangor, Maine. I saw it happen in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I saw it happen in Jamestown, New York, because I watch the skies every day. Mm-hmm. What happened is they start spraying. All of a sudden, they start spraying at high altitudes, and the trails are no longer persistent. They're short. So you don't notice them unless you're standing outside watching for the planes, and the mm-hmm. trails will persist only a few seconds, sometimes only a couple minutes. But they're, they're, they're non-persistent and high altitude, so they're much harder to see. So they are clearly, in my opinion, they're trying to hide the trails from the public. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, because what they're doing is an epic crime against humanity. This is uh, There's nothing historically that I know that compares to the scope of what they're doing. And so they don't want the public to notice this as much. And there's been a lot of publicity about this. And I think they underestimated the public reaction to the big persistent trail. So, yes, they're definitely making them harder to see and releasing that higher altitudes. But but make no mistake, I want people to know this, that the intensity of the smell and the taste and the symptoms at ground level are virtually no different. They may be a little bit less, just a little bit less when they're using the non-persistent trails, but only slightly. They mm-hmm. still manage to get the concentration at ground level to the same levels as when they're spraying low altitude persistent trails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I noticed too that uh, well, in Oregon, you know, it's very rare that we see the sun. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, I, I've noticed that um, there are times when, you know, it's it's rained overnight or something like that. And I'll be driving to work because I got to drive about an hour up the freeway north. And uh, I'll smell the what you described as the um, the damp uh, swamp the damp swamp smell. Swamp water, yeah. Oh my goodness, it is the most putrid smell that there is, you know. And it's like it's almost gagging. And uh, it'll go on for maybe uh, five miles or so, and then it stops, and then maybe you'll go another four miles, and then you start to smell it again. Now, I've always, you know, living in Oregon with all the water that we have around here, you start wondering, oh, well, you know, it's just standing water. But uh, when it's when it's raining in the middle of winter and it's always fresh water, you know, or supposed to be anyway, that's coming from the sky and you're smelling this. It's like, you know, th- this is not normal. This is not a normal smell. And uh, so uh, and it, so it's obvious that uh, they have th- th- these different uh, trails for for uh, for different reasons. You know, and I think you've nailed that down pretty good, too, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, by watching the patterns, um, you can get an idea of of what some of these may be being used for. And, and I'll, a real over, quick overview of the patterns that, that I've seen is, for instance, the uh, barium type, which I originally called the iron aluminum type because it kind of tasted like rusty iron 
but with aluminum in it, and I couldn't nail it down. And because I've never tasted barium, you know, I don't know what barium really tastes like, so I didn't really know what it was. But that particular type is sprayed almost always. I'd say nine out of ten times, the barium type is sprayed uh, whenever there's an incoming uh, storm front. And it's sprayed not only in front of rain, but also in, in front of snow. And I will tell you that I work at my desk all day long. I work from home. And I, I don't have to look outside to know a front's coming in the next 12 hours. I will be sitting here and busy, wrapped up in the, in the things that I'm doing. And boom, we'll get hit with a barium uh, type. And I'll, I'll pop on radar. And sure enough, 12 hours out, there is that, uh, there's a storm front coming in. So mm-hmm. that's an example of one type that I believe is used for hypernucleation. Now, I know, I think it was Clifford Carnicom, if I remember right. He actually demonstrated they took rainwater samples and they did a chemical reaction that showed the rainwater had barium salts in it. Really? And I was, yep. And I was very intrigued by that. I was like, okay. And they believe it's a moisture sequestrant. So it actually is very drying. And I can attest to this because when I wear my wet mask, now wet mask is actually what it sounds like. It's a wet mask. When that particular type is being sprayed and I have the wet mask on, that thing will dry out in 15 to 20 minutes. And it's like, wow, whatever is in the air is is definitely sequestering moisture. Really? So I, yeah. So I do, they're absolutely, I believe there's no question that different types are for different purposes. That particular type has to do with um, what's called hypernucleation, I believe where you spray the atmosphere and then the atmosphere will be able, you put all these particulates and they're called condensation nuclei into the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Those condensation nuclei will suck up all the water, but it only rains when those droplets uh, coalesce with each other and become heavy enough to fall. Mm -hmm. Well, if you hypernucleate, if you have too many condensation nuclei, the rain or the water in the air remains spread out, can never join and get heavy enough to fall so you can for instance spray off the coast of california which is what we saw happening during the california drought huge spraying day after day after day what happens california experiences a drought because the atmosphere contains and maintains its moisture level because of hypernucleation off the pacific coast then these clouds this moisture gets dropped in the midwest and then they have devastating floods and this is exactly what we would expect to see if you're hypernucleating the atmosphere. So that's an example of one type that I think we can kind of reverse engineer what it's being used for. You know, you know, Russ, if you want to know what barium tastes like, um, if you've ever had a CAT scan or an MRI, you drink barium. And yeah, it's, it's chalky. Yeah, you, you and I both are cancer survivors, so we've had plenty of uh, opportunities to taste it. But it tastes chalky, and then it has like an afterburn uh, metallic taste, like a like an afterburner result of it so it it's not inviting you know when i i lived in roswell new mexico and i was riding one morning i think it was around 2004 or 5 and i could see the remnants of chemtrails coming down at treetop level i'm on a motorcycle i can't escape it because it's everywhere and it was like back in the 50s before they knew that how dangerous this stuff was it was uh uh, called angel hair and it was like a, a a glass fiber that you could put on Christmas trees. And so this stuff was coming down, looked, it was pink or reddish pink. And it was like this um, glass that you would put on Christmas trees back in the fifties. 
it was just everywhere. Couple, you know, fell on the trees, spawned on us. The very next day, everybody in Roswell had flu-like symptoms. I mean, it was so much that they had to close down the um, uh, a, a place where I was working temporarily for a while. They had to close the whole thing down because uh, all the kids at this daycare center thing, uh, they were all sick. Nobody came, so they just shut the whole thing down for the day. Um, so what in the heck was that? What was I looking at? I mean, what was like a pink? And uh, I got the opposite end of your sensitive smell. I only smell what you really don't want to smell. I, my senses are almost deadened by it. But uh, so I couldn't tell you what it smelled like, but I could tell you what it looked like and what it felt like. I mean, it, it, it would come down and it was moist. It hit, you could feel it hitting your body. And like I said, I'd be on a motorcycle. I couldn't escape it, but it was like, it was like this pink angel hair or like cotton candy coming down uh, from above. Yeah, that's very interesting because, of course, if we look at the patents, we find out that small spiderweb-like fibers are patented for use as a uh, delivery mechanism for biologics and biological warfare. Mm -hmm. So, and I know a lot of people know this already who have paid attention to chemtrails, but it's worth mentioning uh, that there is a patent for this, and there's no question in my mind um, that they are releasing biologics. And um, I know this may be difficult for a lot of. I'm sure your your audience is more sophisticated than than the typical person who's walking around and, and ignoring all this stuff. So, hopefully, it's not a shock. But for me, smelling biologics, um, I'm the guy who, ever since I was young, and I thought everybody was this way till I got older, is that if somebody had an upper respiratory infection and I got a whiff of their breath, I could I could smell it and taste it, especially smell it really, and it also caused the sensation in my sinuses. It was both an odor and a sensation. And without fail, one or two days later, they were getting sick. And I've noticed that pattern. I'm a pattern watcher in my life. That's always been something I've done. Mm -hmm. So, so what happened to me? I was as a let me just a story somebody might relate to that. Um, uh, I was dating this girl years ago, and uh, she had uh, she had that uh, that odor in her breath, and so uh, I was I was kind of getting to know her, and I just told her I said you might want to take some vitamin C tonight because you're um, you know, I think you might have a respiratory infection. So just, just take some stuff to, he's like, what are you, what are you telling me? And I, and I said, well, I'm just kind of sensitive. And I, well, what do you mean? Are you saying I'm bad breath? And I'm like, no, it's not bad breath. She got offended and walked away. And I was like, oh my God, I was mortified. Like, what did I just do? You idiot. You know, what's wrong with you? It was totally embarrassing. Well, well, I went next day, I went to work and I came out for lunch and there was a note under my windshield wiper. I worked at uh, PHCC, the uh, Pasco Hernando Community College, which is now the State College in uh, in Pasco County, Florida. Went out to my car. I ran. Uh, I was like technical director in the theater. Went out to my car. There's a note under my windshield wiper. I take it. And it's a note from her. It's a nice long note, and she apologized because she woke up with a sore throat that morning, the next morning. Whoa. And uh, so she realized that I didn't know what I was talking about. So this particular scent and odor. I first experienced this in Maine. I'm in the Bangor, Maine area in 2010. Um, and it was, uh, I would, whenever it was strong, I would get a sore throat. But just 10, 15 minutes after it went away, my sore throat would go away. And then I started noticing as they started doing it more often, they would start doing it three days in a row or a week in a row. And when they did that, everybody got sick. Three days in a row, then you would start knowing people who would get colds, quote unquote, colds. Right. If they did it for a week, 
there'd be an you know epidemic in the area. One time they did it three weeks in a row, every single day. They shut down the local schools, the pediatrician's office. You couldn't get in. Everybody was sick. It was an epidemic in our area. And what frustrates me is I knew it was coming from the sky. I, I can smell this stuff and taste this stuff as if I'm smelling the breath of somebody who has an upper respiratory infection, and it always coincides with these outbreaks. So I'm just I'm doing my best to tell the public about this, and I, I encourage other people who have this ability to smell and taste this to, to please speak out and uh, expose this as well, because this is happening. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, um, Russ, I, I have kind of an indirect relative, and I'm not going to go into much specifics about who she is and stuff, but uh, very involved in the environmental movement. And uh, she had a friend that supposedly had an audience with Barack Obama, and she flat out asked him about the chemtrails. And he said, yes, they're real, but, but they're being used to block out the sun to help us with our... Uh, you know, the, with our atmosphere and, and global warming and things like that. Now, I, you know, I, I, I'm not a big global warming yeah. advocate. I'm not an advocate at all for that. And I think it's a bunch right. of hooey. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, you know, that's that's the excuse that he used. But the fact that he admitted that they're doing it was just kind of phenomenal uh, because it was it's kind of a, uh, you know, tabooed subject to talk about, I guess, in government circles. But uh, Oh, yeah. I, I know that um, real quick, I, and I don't want to steal your thunder, but we, you know, we've got two hours. So um, <laughs> back in 2008, um, I was I was flying to Mexico City. I was going to go meet uh, my, my first wife um, for the first time. And uh, and, uh, you know, that's just three time zones away and it's south uh, from California. I was I was going there from California. And um, so as the sun was starting to come up because I flew the red eye. Uh, I noticed that the plane was cutting through through chemtrails. You could actually see the trails. It was the weirdest thing I've ever seen in my life. You, but the wings, you could actually see the wings cutting through it. And and I was like, this isn't good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is not uh-huh. a good thing. And uh, uh-huh. and I was always told that they don't that they recycle the the, the uh, air in a plane, which is dumb because if they did that, then everybody would die of carbon monoxide poisoning. Um, mm. But anyway, uh, so I landed in Mexico City, and I had been off the plane for about an hour, and I came down with the worst bronchitis I'd ever had. I'd never had it before, and um, and it persisted the whole time I was there and probably maybe two months after I got back. And ever since that time, Russ, uh, if somebody comes over, and we have lots of grandkids, I'm married again, and my wife has a lot of grandkids, and if they were to come over and, and cough in my face or something, I could guarantee you that the next day that I would come down with it and we turned into bronchitis. So there was something that that plane flew through that, and I and I learned later that no, they do take in air from the outside. Um, and so yeah. I, it's too bad I didn't get a, a, the addresses of all the people on that plane to see who else got sick. But uh, um, I, I think that that's a, that's what happened to me, and that's my story about chemtrails. So I know for a fact that it's true, and it, they can make you sick. So, um, no, so no what question, about, no question. What about the biologics? So they, what are they putting in the biologic ones? Well, here's my theory. Um, there's uh, there's so much I could say on this because I've kept I have all these records of stuff that I've experienced. But it began for me in 2010. And it was the first type that I believed was high altitude spraying. Mm-hmm. And this is when I first saw the high altitude spraying, but the, I call it the intensity slope. 
is that um, you can basically tell how low a plume was released into the atmosphere by how quickly it reaches, reaches its maximum level. So I'll be sitting here working, and your typical plume for until the high altitude spraying started, starting uh, spraying began, would be two to four minutes. Mm -hmm. The the intensity would just rise up to a peak, and then it would take about 45 to 60 minutes to dissipate. That was a typical plume that would hit us, and they were and they were all almost always on patterns. You know, you could, uh, in fact, for the first several years, you knew within 15 minutes when a plume would hit you. They were on a very tight schedule. And it wasn't until um, trying to remember the year I'd have to look at my stories, but maybe 2011, 2012, they actually started ran. I think it was 2012. They started randomizing it dramatically. Mm -hmm. But before that, I knew within 15 minute tolerance when they were going to hit us and usually what type they would hit us with, because at night they did different times during the day. So the biologics, what I have detected personally, I don't know what they what the Air Force or what the military calls them. But I've labeled them as three different types. There's what I call type 1, type 2, and type M. Type 1 gives me a sore throat. And like I, this is the type that, that was uh, beginning to be sprayed in 2010 at high altitudes. So the intensity slope would go up very gradually. And what that told me, that was the very first chemtrail type I experienced with a gradual intensity slope. And I said, you know what? What does that mean? I think it means they're being sprayed from high altitudes. And sure enough, as I watched... You could see these uh, spraying operations at high altitudes, and then a couple hours later, and this stuff falls more quickly than people think it does. It's not, you know, it's not super fast, but it's faster than people think. A couple hours later, I start to smell it and taste it. So that's that type was the type one, which gave a sore throat. Just a few years ago, and this actually happened the night before Christmas Eve in 2017, we got blasted uh, with the type two. The type 2 is different. Uh, it's still a biologic, but it actually causes symptoms like you're getting the flu. It actually makes you feel like you're, like you're getting maybe stomach flu, and it's in your head, um, and, it, and it's a different sensation. It's a different type of illness that that causes. And that's what happened uh, the night before Christmas Eve was the first. We got super intense. This went on for a few weeks, and that's when we had the epidemic of uh, across the United States. And it's coincided exactly because I tell my business partner who I share a house with, I tell her every plume that comes down, I'm like, okay, this is the plume. Here's what we're under. And man, they started nailing us. And I'm like, wow, I don't know how widespread this is, but there's going to be an outbreak. And sure enough, there was the type, the type M is a type that tastes, I call, I talked about earlier that actually tastes like, um, like swamp water. That's what I refer to as a swamp water type. Um, it, it tastes like, uh, Mil like a mildewy basement, like wet cardboard, mold and mildew. If you're in a room that has that in there, it has that taste. And there's a very specific taste, like mushrooms and algae is my best description of what it is. Right. And, and I can taste that. I call that type M. And um, that one, um, the symptoms are a little more generalized with that one. But the type 1 and type 2 have very, very specific symptom types. And there are definitely, in my experience, there are those three are the three different types of biologics that I personally experienced. Wow. That's interesting. And still do. And still do. They still are doing it. And today has been a today has been a particularly bad day, horrible day of biologics today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that in the, um, the summertime, uh, usually I, I used to, when I was a kid and even uh, after that, it used to be that uh, if you, uh, 
you got sick in the winter time. Uh, in this, you know, late fall, winter, early spring is when everybody got sick. And then uh, you never heard of anybody really getting sick in the summertime, unless you know it was something like the measles or something that that they didn't have shots for. And, and back then everything went around, and you got it, and you got over it, and you got immune. But um, so I I don't remember so much people being sick in the summer. But now you hear a lot about summer colds. Um, right now there's a summer cold that's going around, and it's it's almost mimicking the flu. And it's it's something that, you know, that I'm not very versed on because, like I said, it, did, it never really happened in the past. But it, so do you think this is going to be a thing of the future that we're, we're just going to be sick all year long or something or? Well, I think it's a thing of the present. I mean, they're they're doing it now. Mm-hmm. And in the last now, you'll see there's a bunch of articles like Science Magazine and Mainstream Magazine articles have come out. Um, over the last couple years, especially, and they're saying scientists have discovered viruses falling from the skies. You know, viruses, I don't know if anybody's seen this, but go out and look and you'll see it's a big deal. And all these articles came out like within the same year of each other. Of course, mainstream media is all coordinated with each other. Um, These articles came out saying scientists discovered all uh, all these viruses falling from the sky it's incredible discovery. You know, they live in the upper atmosphere. And, of course, they're blaming it and everything else on global warming. They're saying that this was what one of the articles actually said. And these are mainstream science or news. This is not, this is not any alternative news source. It's mainstream science magazines and news outlets talking about all these viruses coming from the sky. So they're saying one of the excuses was saying global warming is melting icebergs and and glaciers that are releasing these ancient viruses, which is uh, insanely ridiculous. There's been a number of cover stories for for chemtrails over the years, uh, and that's uh, you know just one that just doesn't make scientific sense. But for the public, it works. You know, it just gets their gets the public's mind off it because the public doesn't want to think about this anyway. Mm-hmm. But so and it's in and, and it's uh, so for someone like me who sits here and knowing that they spray this stuff all year round, and I fight the viruses myself with herbs and vitamins, and I, I'm very effective at it. I know how to do it, and so I don't get sick very often, but I will wake up in the morning with a sore throat when they're spraying, and it's not uncommon. It's actually fairly common, and uh, and then it will go away shortly after. So, yeah, it's here now, and in the last few months, I actually posted a chart in our Facebook group that showed uh, that sci- a monitoring station, I don't remember where it is right offhand right now, but they were saying that the biological uh, entities, the biologics that were detected in the atmosphere uh, for the last uh, three, now it's four months, have just skyrocketed. There's a huge increase in biologics. And this is the time, and I went online, people can see my post, for the last four months, the biologic spraying has increased dramatically. In fact, I just finished an article last week where I wrote about this, about the dramatic increase in biologics recently. And so it's funny how they come out, they do this to the public, they expose them to these things, and then they come out with mainstream articles to explain it away. And that's the typical pattern we see. So summertime sickness is here to stay, I believe, unfortunately. That's sad. (laughs) It really is. These chem sprays aren't just typical to the United States either. Uh, I mean, it's it's on a larger scale, isn't it? It's all over the world. Um, Mm -hmm. This is something, you know, I've been studying geopolitics 
for my entire life. I'm not an ex. I don't think it's hard to be an expert because you can study your whole life and there's more to learn. Um, but I love this stuff. And I have believed for uh, decades that all the countries of the world, with a with a one or two notable exceptions, work together very closely. They're all coordinated. They're controlled by uh, the same uh, brotherhood, the same group of people. And this right. is why the chemtrail program started in many countries around the world at the same time, because this this is a coordinated effort by these countries, whether it's Russia, China, you know, Singapore, New Zealand. Even out in the Utah desert, you know, you can be out in the middle of nowhere. Um, the very first time I ever saw chemtrails was in 2003. I saw them in one day. I was out at El Capitan in, in uh, um, taking pictures, mm-hmm. California. I was out at uh, um, Yosemite. Uh, that was when Mars was really close to the moon, and it was, looked really cool. And I was doing, like, time-lapse photography, and I was just like, wow, this is really cool. And I saw these trails in the sky. That night, that was my very first encounter, and it was two years before they started spraying the area I actually lived. I was just traveling, and I just happened to encounter them. That night, I got terribly ill, and oh, it, no. uh, it took, me a, took me a good day and a half to get over it with all my supplements, uh, but it was just really nasty. Man, oh, so. man. You know, when you were mentioning geopolitics, um, in the little bit of research that I've done, just and it's just been a little, I've noticed that the, if you understand corporations, their resources, their connections to one another, there's a clear pattern of who's getting sprayed and why. Because it's based on the corporations and where their joint interests are, and it's connected to all the countries that are being sprayed. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have people in our Facebook group from all over the world, Russia, um, China, um, New Zealand, and all over Western Europe, uh, even the Middle East, um, uh, South America. And um, there's no place um, that anybody is saying they don't see trails. Mm-hmm. I, I even, I am so dramatically affected by it, and it affects my quality of life so much that I've looked around the world where to move. I was thinking maybe Switzerland, you know, <laughs> that's, that was one of my thoughts, you know, and I actually looked into how do you uh, become, how do you become, uh, how do you immigrate into Switzerland and how do you, I started looking into this cause I was so desperate because it was making me so terribly sick and it burned and uh, affected my health. And, uh, but I could not find a place, even Ecuador. I remember there was a lot of talk for a while of, of Americans moving to Ecuador, but even Ecuador, when you look at the photos down there, there's chemtrails all over in the skies. So um, so it's hard for me to find places. There's a lot of Sorry. weird occult activity going on in Ecuador, too. There's a lot of strange stuff. Occultists are coming from all over the world to that area for, you know, other reasons. But it's, you know, all these things are interconnected. I've even heard the conspiracy that, that uh, what they're doing on a large global scale is re-terraforming the Earth back to the prior flood conditions. I think, you know, I don't know, I'm not saying it is, but, you know, it's a it's a theory that's worth uh, investigating or maybe even considering that uh, that's why we see it everywhere. And that's why the global elite and the corporations are totally involved in it, because they're working for the God of this world. They're not working for. Uh, exactly. And I 
And I will tell you, I mean, I, I just, I'm so grateful that I come into the knowledge that I have because as many people who love to research and I'm one of, I wish I could research all day long, but I have to make a living. Um, <laughs> but you find that when you start seeking knowledge, it starts coming to you. You start getting people with phone calls who start sharing things with you They're like, oh my gosh, that's what I'm looking at right now. And somebody will write you something and so on and so forth. Well, one thing that I was very grateful to come across years ago is Revelation 18.23, which a lot of people become familiar with in the last 10 years. It says, for your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. Now, what this is talking about is shortly before the return of Christ, there will be um, uh, a one-world government. And, of course, all the nations are gathered together under this one world government to make battle with Christ. And we all know a lot of that story. But in order to fool the people, they poison them. So when you take that verse apart, I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. It says, for, oh, yeah. Your, yeah, for your merchants were the great men of the earth. What does that really mean? Merchants means a, a if you look in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance, I got an old one. It means the wholesalers and traders. These are the manufacturers. This is big industry, big industry. They were the great men of the earth. Now, great sounds today like, hey, man, you're a great guy. You're a good guy. That's not what it means. If you look up the actual word, it means powerful. So for your wholesalers, your manufacturers, your power brokers of the earth were the powerful men of the earth. For by your sorcery were all the nations. It doesn't say just some nations. All the nations were deceived. Sorcery, of course, as you guys know, is the Greek pharmakia. word pharmakia, exactly, yep. and it means to drug or poison. Now, I knew about this verse for since the 90s. I learned about this in the early 90s, and so I was waiting. I'm saying, okay, when is this going to happen where the earth is going to be poisoned by the powerful merchant and power brokers? Because I knew all about the power brokers, and, and I was like, okay, okay, when is this going to happen? And it was, I, I was, I, I didn't know because we saw a move in the public to go towards non-GMOs, non-pesticides. The public wanted to be free of chemicals. Right. And, and there was a big move towards that, towards organic uh, produce. And I was like, hmm, I wonder how this is going to happen. And that day in November 2005, when that plume was laid down right over where I lived, and uh, 30 minutes later, the air was so full, it of uh, the metallic, salty metallic taste that burned my sinuses. I had to cancel my employee meeting that evening because I couldn't, uh, I couldn't handle it. I just, my, I got a headache and I knew it was in the air and I looked up and saw the plume and I'm like, what is this going on from, I got on the internet, did a few minutes of research and I was like, I saw all about chemtrails and I was like, you know what, this might just be what is the, at least a big part of the fulfillment of Revelation 18:23. Mm -hmm. Well, I believe it. I definitely believe it. Well, Revelation you know, also says that uh, that God will destroy those who destroy the earth. Yes, I was going to include that too, Dave. You're Sorry. Right. And it, <laughs> no, no, and that's good. But I mean, the thing is that they destroyed the earth. How did they destroy it? They, like we're talking about right now, that's how they did. It. And they're going to be held accountable for it. Now they're trying to say it's global warming and all these other myths, but it's it's what they're doing to the earth. And like I say, I, I actually believe that it's a part of a terraforming to bring something back for, yeah, I'm a gardener. I love gardening I, everywhere I've been. Well, except for where I live now. I can't garden. I'm in the middle of downtown in Michigan and uh, Detroit area, living on top of a roof of everybody else. But, um, but that is a good point to it. Anyways, um, I garden. So I look at patterns and if I 
buy, if I go to any store and buy seed now, it's, it's uh, Monsanto seeds. They grow like crazy, rich and thick. You buy non-GMO like I do, um, organic non-GMO seeds. You better make sure that you water them, you take care of them. They will not grow. They are, they'll come out stunted and they'll come out nothing at all. A lot of the spring has hindered everything that's natural and organic. You can still grow, but you have to stay on top of it. Make sure that it gets all the water, make sure that it gets all the sunlight, because it's not able to thrive in this environment that's been recreated. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we know that when you have free aluminum in the soil, uh, the plants actually start restricting their mineral uptake. And what this will do is the main root system will get stunted, and then your production of that plant uh, is reduced because of the free aluminum. And I know I've heard a lot of trolls over the years say, oh, there's a lot of aluminum. So it's different when it's bauxite, when it's bound aluminum and free aluminum. When you're releasing massive amounts of aluminum in the atmosphere and it gets into the soil and the plants start to uptake it, you start seeing. And there's farmers who have videos on YouTube who say this. We have elevated... Um, metals, aluminum in our soils, we are seeing a corresponding drop in the size of our main root system. We are seeing reduced production of these plants and smaller sizes. Yep. And this is all exactly what you would expect when you have an abundance and changes the pH of the soil as well. It alters your pH. So you've got to do some sulfur and you've got to do a little bit of tending to the soil. Um, and this is exactly what you would expect to see when you've got too much free aluminum in the soil. And there's other things to it too, but uh, aluminum's part of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the last couple of years when I lived out in the country and still had you know, a garden, I literally, if it was gonna rain, I would tarp off my plants. I put them all in pots. I didn't put them in the regular soil. I bought you know, different organic soil so that it could stay fresh. And then I kind of protected it from the weather. If I saw spring, I'd cover my plants with a tarp and protect them. And by doing that, I was able to grow some pretty nice, healthy plants. But that's the extent of what I had to do. I didn't understand about the aluminum. You just explained something for me. So now it makes sense that I was keeping that from being present in my plants by keeping them covered and protected. Mm -hmm. As yeah. soon as I'd see spring, I, I, I'd run out and cover my plants. I did. Whatever, <laughs> whatever that junk is up there, I don't want it in my plants. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, I actually did an interview with Francis Mengels, who, uh, and it's posted in the Global Skywatch uh, radio. I don't do Global Skywatch radio now. Um, I may in the future, I don't know, but I haven't done it for a while. But I interviewed with uh, Francis Mengels, who is a 35-year veteran of the uh, USDA. He's a biologist, uh, very, very smart guy. And he actually talks in that interview about how to remediate the free aluminum in the soil. And uh, so there's the... Yeah, there are solutions. That's, that's awesome that you made that correlation. That's that's really cool. Well, it was it was thanks to people like you that you know that keep us informed and realize that okay, what I'm looking at isn't normal. There is something that I can do about it. Right. So I appreciate your you know what you're doing. I don't oh, know well. if you've ever noticed, but uh, I come from a, an Italian American heritage, among other things, and and uh, you know spaghetti sauce is kind of a staple. And uh, so uh, every time that my mother would, would cover the spaghetti sauce with, with aluminum foil and the, and the spaghetti sauce would touch it, it would actually eat the aluminum away, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I always wondered if they could use that as a, some, the compound that's doing that as a cure for Alzheimer's. 
uh, that would be interesting if they could do that. But um, uh, a couple of uh, more questions that I had for you, and I'm going to throw at you, um, Russ, is uh, first of all, we talked about biologics. I wanted to see if what, what you thought about Morgellons and if they, they might be coming from the uh, the chemtrails. And uh, and also that, uh, if, I don't know if you've ever been down to see the Georgia Guidestones or know much about them, but the first, I, I call them the Ten Commandments of the, the New Age. And the first commandment is to reduce humanity down to 500 million so that the uh, Earth can live in harmony with humanity. And uh, so my thought is that they're using this to make our immune systems uh, sort of weak so that someday when they introduce some really powerful flu or whatever it is out there, we're already going to have a, a weakened immune systems and uh, we're going to drop like flies. So what, what say ye yeah. about that, uh, this, you know, about that theory? And also, uh, uh, are, if, are you familiar with Morgellons and do you think that maybe that that's where they're coming from? Because you never heard about Morgellons until like the late 1990s, early two thousands. Yeah. Well, let me throw a few things out there. Absolutely. I mean, um, uh, uh, going back to Clifford Carnicom, he's done a lot of research on Morgellons, and he's come up with uh, what he calls, and I think he's right, conclusive evidence that chemtrails are the reason for Morgellons. One interesting thing to consider, and I'll just throw this out there, I don't, I haven't done the science because I don't have the equipment and I do not have the time, but um, the uh, the particular, the most commonly typed sprayed, uh, uh, chemtrail type that is sprayed, which I refer to as the model cement type that smells like toluene, um, also is always accompanied with a burnt plastic smell. Well, if you look at Morgellons fibers, there are people who've seen them, studied them, and say this is like plastic or polyester. Mm -hmm. So just I'll just throw this out there. I don't know the answer. I have not studied this personally. But isn't it interesting if you could have a dispersal, dispersal system, a delivery system for some kind of synthetic fiber that is in liquid form, you breathe it in, and it's attached to a solvent. Once it gets in your body, your body metabolizes away the solvent and leaves the fiber, and then somehow that fiber manifests into a disease, uh, uh, present, it presents into a disease uh, state. So could that have something to do with more gallons? Absolutely. And according to Clifford Carnicom, chemtrails are, are indisputably uh, connected with Morgellons. And a second ago, you mentioned, I'd love to, to throw this nugget out there about Alzheimer's. Um, Dr. Boyd Haley made an absolutely stunning uh, discovery. Now, every doctor knows in your body, you've got apo, they're called apolipoproteins. And these are the delivery mechanisms for fats, for lipids. So these proteins will bind to a lipid and work as a delivery system for these lipids in your body. Now, there's different genotypes for these lipids. You've got what's called an APOE3, you've got an APOE4, and an APOE2. What Dr. Haley discovered, I'll, let me reserve that for just a second. He made a discovery that's directly connected to this. Now, every doctor knows, or most doctors know, concerning Alzheimer's, that uh, APOE4 genotype, if you produce... The APOE4 genotype, which is not the majority. The majority of people produce APOE3, but there's a lot who produce the APOE4 protein and the APOE2 protein. The APOE4 protein, the lipoprotein, is the genetic marker, they call it, for Alzheimer's. You oh, have goodness. that. 
you have a dramatically elevated risk of Alzheimer's. And what nobody talks about then, that's where they stop. You know, mainstream medicine, oh, APOE4 is the genetic marker for Alzheimer's. Okay, great, but they don't finish the story, and I'll tell you the rest of the story right now. Dr. Boyd Haley made a discovery. I've read the study. It should be on every doctor's desk. What he discovered is that the APOE3, which is the most common type of the apolipoprotein, actually is an efficient delivery method and detox method because it binds to mercury. Whoa. Whoa. It actually assists in the detoxing of mercury. So the smaller portion of the population who does not have the APOE3, but instead they have the APOE4, APOE4 cannot act as a transport mechanism and therefore does not get mercury out of the fat system in the body. It cannot detox. That body cannot detox the fat system of mercury. That is the golden bullet that everybody's been looking for, and it's in print. You can go online and read that study. Dr. Haley's done fantastic work. Of course, they shut him down. He did incredible. There's other work uh, with mercury. But anyway, so that's what people need to know about Alzheimer's and the connection with mercury. It's, it can be called definitive right there. They found it. They found the silver bullet. They found the problem. But nobody's talking about the second half of the story. But now your audience has heard it, and I hope they go read Dr. Haley's uh, study on the APOE4 and the OP- APOE3 that mobilizes mercury and the OP- APOE4 that does not. Hmm, that's interesting. And I hope, they don't, most I hope they don't go running to get an inoculation either. <laughs> exactly. I was just going to say, <laughs> most vaccines have used that as, a, uh, uh, as an adjudicant to keep them. Um, uh, they say it's, it, it keeps, um, keeps it stable, keeps it fresh longer. The, uh, yeah, it's the, a preservative. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Right. And of course, you know, mercury is used in fungicides. Mm-hmm. So guess what? We we did a test years ago where we uh, we rented a $15,000 mercury vapor meter and we tested everything we could in the week that we had it. Boy, we had some fun. Let me tell you, one of the things that we tested was cigarette smoke. Mm-hmm. And and let me tell you, when we tested that cigarette smoke, the guys who were with me, I had employees at the time. This, this is about the same time that Chemtrail started. I had the same employees. We sampled that cigarette smoke, and it was something on the order between two and 300 uh, micrograms per liter, which, wow. is, which is huge, absolutely yeah. huge. And to give people a reference point, 3.3 micrograms to one, between 0.3 and one will cause an, uh, uh, an investigation and potentially shut down a factory. We're mm-hmm. talking two to 300 micrograms. So we're talking uh, orders of magnitude in cigarette smoke. Now, why? Where is that mercury coming from? Tobacco is sprayed with fungicides. And what are fungicides made of in large? Mercury. mercury because it's a preservative, just like it's used in vaccines, right? Wow. Yes. So you have... Um, a lot of people who smoke cigarettes have lung cancer, which mercury causes, have a lot of other symptoms that mercury causes, and now we know why this has so much, uh, so much uh, mercury in it. The other thing about uh, uh, vaccine mercury, like you were um, uh, talking about, is that, the, uh, that Dr. David Ayub gave some uh, tremendous lectures about this, 
And when you read the FDA statements about why is mercury in vaccines, I mean, of all the preservatives, if you believe vaccines work, you, you don't want any poison there. So why would you put the world's most toxic non-radioactive metal in a vaccine? Why would you do that? It doesn't make any sense unless there's another agenda, which there is, obviously. Right. But Dr. D the FDA statement on this is that it's historical. In other words, the statement literally means we do it because we've always done it. Right. And there's no other justification. Of all the other preserves you can use, they're still using mercury. And I will tell you, doctor, I'm sorry I'm talking so much. I don't no, mean that's to, good. That's what you're here for. <laughs> yeah. Okay, don't mean to monopolize this at all. But um, if you listen to Dr. Uh, Hal Huggins, who, is, who passed away uh, not too long ago, he was a pioneer in mercury research. He raised, uh, opened everybody's eyes eyes about amalgam fillings and the fact that they off-gas mercury, and he turned my life around. Absolutely. That was a pivotal point of my health was because of Dr. Huggins' book, It's All in Your Head. What he says about mercury is, is this. Because of my research I did in radio interviews for years, I was telling people, I believe, based on the research I've done, that mercury causes, at least conservatively speaking, 100 of the most common diseases in the world today. Wow. It was just a few years later that I heard Dr. Huggins saying, this was about uh, a year before his death, in an interview, he said 200. He said mercury causes at least, it's maybe not the only cause, but it causes 200 of the most common diseases today. Wow. And that when you realize, why is this? I once had my father when I was, because I would talk about this stuff with my father, he'd say, why do you think everything's caused by mercury? I said, you're looking at it backwards. It's not that everything's caused by mercury. It's that everyone's been exposed to mercury. Therefore, the diseases we are seeing in the world today are mercury diseases. Mm -hmm. That is the connection. And the world is beginning. I'm so thankful because nothing hurts my heart more than seeing children suffer. I hate enough seeing adults suffer. But right. when you see a ch child who is suffering, oh, man, that's, that gets to you. Yeah. That gets to you. And children exactly. are suffering today because they're injecting them, they're exposing them to mercury, and they're having everything from asthma to diabetes to cancer, all of these problems, and you can trace them all back, most of them, most of them, you can trace back to mercury. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. a few, to me, it's uh, incredible. I was going to say a year ago, um, about a year ago, I posted, uh, you know, I was very active on Facebook, and, you know, all these parents were coming on. Well, it's because my child... My child got sick because your unvaccinated child, um, you know, was was in school with him. Well, I'm, I'm, so I retorted back and I said, well, if your kid's vaccinated, then what are you worried about? And and, and I, I made a reference. I think I called her a moron or something. Well, she didn't like that too much. And you got to understand, I work for uh, an entity in the state of Oregon that has to do with health. And uh, so this woman was very ticked off at me and she... Uh, took it to the highest levels almost of state government. And uh, so I never used my real name in the, in the, on the Facebook site. So it took them a long time to find me. But they did because it said I worked for the state of Oregon. So they were able to finally find me. And I was told, I was I basically I was shown grace because I was told, okay, you know, we're willing to forget this if you just remove the article, remove the statement and remove that you work for the state. And I said, okay, I could do that. You know, because I really didn't want to lose my job at this time, you know, getting close sure. to retirement. Um, so 
but anyway, you know, it just goes to show you how how deeply rooted this this whole vaccination thing thing is. And um, fortunately, you know, we we have a lot of grandkids that uh, were not vaccinated. Uh, most a lot of them live in Israel, and you you have the choice over there still whether you want to vaccinate or not. And a lot of parents over there do not vaccinate. And uh, for instance, they they came down with the chicken pox not too long ago, so they all got the chicken pox, all seven grandkids. They got it. They got over it, and now they're immune. Okay. Right. And that's right. the way it used to be when we were kids. I don't know how you how old you are, Russ. How old are you anyway? Fifty-four. Okay, so you're very close to our age. So, um, I I can remember getting smallpox. Um, uh, there was a couple of I think we got a total of about five or six vaccinations when we were kids, and that was it. And now I think it's up to what seventy that they get by the time that they're 12 or 13 or something like that. But, you know, when, when the chicken pox went around, we got it. We were immune. Measles came around. We got it. We were immune. Uh, you name it, scarlet fever. Well, that was a bad one, but you got it. You were immune. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot to say about having, um, acquired immunity and, uh, so this whole hype, and I know I'm getting off the subject here, but this whole hype about getting vaccinated is is hype. It really is. I mean, for the major diseases, yes. But oh. uh, you know. Oh. Hmm? Yeah. No. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, yeah. Go ahead and finish. I don't want to. No, I mean like yes, polio I'm, I'm and you. smallpox. You know. And <laughs> and that, those things are coming back to our country, by the way, because of all the illegal immigrants coming into it. That's a whole show for another time. But. Um, so I don't know. I just, uh, but, but getting back to the, um, the Georgia Guidestones and, and decreasing the population, I just, my, my question basically is, do you think that maybe these things are being introduced into our bodies so that when the time comes, they can say, okay, well, let's release this very toxic virogen uh, that's, you know, that's been known to take out 90% of the people that have gotten it. Just let's just let it go and, uh, you know, kind of let the disease sort it out, so to speak, you know? Oh, oh, fantastic question. Well, here it is right here, right? We know that, uh, you know, and we know that they're releasing aluminum. Mm-hmm. We know that they're releasing barium. Right. We know that they're releasing strontium. Mm-hmm. And for years, now this will sound like a tangent, but it's really not. For years, I said, I wrote an article back in between 2010, 2012 saying, it is shocking how identical my symptoms to chemtrails are that match up with my symptoms to amalgam dental fillings mm-hmm. because I got poisoned by my dental amalgams. I had them removed. Everything I had, I had 17 physical symptoms and emotional symptoms as well that were gone. Most of them in 24 hours, the rest of them in three months. Right. Dramatic life-changing recovery. I did not get sick, have a single symptom or health problem, and mm-hmm. felt like yeah. Superman for four and a half years until chemtrails started. And it was because of the mercury off-gassing from amalgam fillings. So I wrote this story between 2010 and 2012. Uh my whole chemtrail story, and I said in there dogmatically and very strongly, it is really amazing to the point where I have to believe that somehow chemtrails contain, or some of these types, not all, but there's certain types that cause me to have mercury symptoms. Well, Dr. Marvin Herndon, who is a uh, geophysicist, came out with this paper uh, in 2017, and I was so thankful. Here's the name of the paper, Contamination of the Biosphere, with mercury, another potential consequence 
of ongoing climate manipulation using aerosolized coal fly ash. It is an article about chemtrails that have a metal signature that he tested himself that match that found in coal fly ash, which contains a large amount of methyl mercury, the same stuff you find in vaccines. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. getting back to your Georgia Guidestones question, we have aluminum, we have barium, we have strontium, and we have mercury. What is the common factor in all of those? There are some, there are several, but the common thread through those four materials that are all being aerosolized and released on the population right now is that they're all powerful immunosuppressants. Hmm. So there you go. You release the immunosuppressants, and then you release, release the biologics, mm -hmm. and then you have the fulfillment of the Georgia Guidestones. And you also have the fulfillment of Bible prophecy, which talks about the plagues that will exist on the earth. And I will say one other exactly. interesting Yeah, one other little thing, and I want to share this with people, and it's, um, it's, if people find it controversial, I understand and I sympathize, but I just have to talk. I have to tell the truth in my life and be a watchman on the wall like I believe that we are called to do. And here's what happened to me years ago. I saw an article on routers, you know, the news service. Right. Uh, I saw an article because I keep an eye on the news. And it was a professor at a large university. I thought it was um, uh, Princeton. I don't remember what it was, but this was on this mainstream. This is, the, I believe, the largest news service in the world, if I remember routers. I think they are. Uh, but huge. I mean, they, they're, 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 their mainstream news feeds the world. This article, written by a large uh, university professor, did a census study and discovered that the numbers that are presented to the public about the census were all wrong. Huh. And he actually said in this study, and I saw this myself on their website, he said that the population of the earth at that time, and this was back in, gee, when did I see this? This was like maybe 10, eight years ago. I don't remember exactly when, but I wrote an article about it. Um, the article actually said the current population of earth is 5.5 billion and decreasing right now. Oh, wow. And I was, I know that this is a very strange thing to bring up, but actually when I, people- I actually totally believe that. Yeah, I mean, this was not for me. So I, I didn't have software to do screen captures at the time. So I was like, oh my gosh, I got to, you know, go back and find this. I went back within a week. I was going to like go capture it because I kind of like made a mental note and wrote it on my to-do list. I got to go capture this article because I capture articles that are really significant. And it was gone. And wow. I spent hours scrubbing the net and it's gone and it's nowhere to be found. And I read it myself, and probably very few people saw it. I'm sure there's a few people out there who saw it, but I, I would love to find someone else who actually saw this article. The reason I find this intriguing is because in my personal experience and the experience of almost everyone I talk to, we may know someone or a handful of people who brought new life into this world in the last five or ten years. Mm -hmm. but, if, but the number of people we've seen depart is an order of magnitude higher than that. That's right. And, and in my personal experience, I always wondered before I saw that article, are we already experiencing a population decrease? Because when you understand how the globalists operate, they would never start an operation like depopulation unless they controlled everything. Right. You have to control the numbers. You have mm -hmm. to control what the population believes. And you don't want the population to panic. And I believe that's part of the reason why different areas are sprayed harder. What I found, I have traveled a little bit to different areas. 
And I tend to find a correlation that where there is a higher hospital to per capita relationship, in other words, there's a lot of hospitals per population, right. spraying is harder. Huh. But when there's not enough hospitals, there's fewer hospitals per capita, spraying is lighter. And I and if you check, you will learn that those hospitals, at least in at the time I was studying this and asking people who were working in hospitals, that those hospitals were often full to capacity. And in fact, in 2011, I took a hospital ride and they couldn't get me in the hospital for 20, they couldn't, I was in the emergency room, they couldn't get me in the main floors because the hospital was full. Right. In Dunedin, Florida, in the last, I don't know, five, seven years, they built two new hospitals. Hospital business is booming. Here in Maine, in Bangor, the Eastern Maine Medical Center, they are doing construction on that place, building a new wing, adding wings, huge expansion of the parking. I mean, they are just expanding that. But I think they don't want to overflow hospitals because it would cause panic. They want to depopulate, but they don't want the population to notice because then the population, they would have a big problem on their hands. And the way you do it without letting the population notice is you've got to control the rate of spray. You've got to have feedback from the hospitals as to what their capacity is at, at any given time. And you also need to control census numbers. Now, interestingly, and this is the last part of this whole section that I'm talking about, is that early on, um, between 2005, 2009, there were a number of whistleblowers who came out who worked in hospitals. They were in administrative jobs, and they said they were told by their supervisors to call a phone number and give them a report as to how many people, how many beds they had free, what their current uh, uh, capacity was, how full they were. And they had to generate this report, and they were not given any reason why. They were just told to do this. Hmm. And when they learned about chemtrails, these whistleblowers came out and said, we believe this, is due to, this has something to do with chemtrails because they don't want to overflow the hospitals. And I was like, you know, that is a viable theory. That's because when, yeah, when you have a program like this, you have to have a feedback mechanism from the public so that you know what how hard to spray so you don't cause a general panic among the public. So uh, the Georgia Guidestone says 500, uh, 500 million. Right. Um, uh, I, I'll tell you, I, there, you know that the plan for depopulation, I truly believe, is way behind schedule. Right. They have meant to be much further than they were, but because of public pressure, they've been slowed down. Uh, when I left Florida, I lived in Florida up until 2003, I used to watch a Discovery Channel all the time, and uh, I'd have it even go in the background while I was working from home because I worked from home back then. I saw two programs on the Discovery Channel. And again, I'm sorry I'm talking so long, but all of oh. these artifacts add up to the, to, to the whole point of what you're saying about depopulation. I saw two programs on the Discovery Channel that, that uh, when, they, when these programs played, Something caught my ear because they said it over and over in the program to the point where I call it overcompensation. Right. When you see something in a program and they're just pushing it a little uncomfortably hard, I start thinking possible propaganda because I learned a long time ago how propaganda works and how it's actually embedded into television shows. It's embedded into the news. And what they said in these two programs that were all played, they were both played on the same week. They said the current population of Earth, I saw this myself, is 500 million. This was back in about 2003 or something like that. 500 and they billion said it, or million? No, for, million. 
million. They said the current population of Earth was 500 million. And I heard that, and I'm like, uh, that doesn't sound right. And they said it something like six or seven times in the hour show. And I'm like, wow, that sounds like overcompensation. Yeah. And so later that week, there was another completely different program, and it said the exact same thing. And I'm like, what? What are they talking about? Right? Yeah. And so I kept the TV on for every hour of the day that I could for the next few weeks. And I looked and tried to find, and that program never played again. Really? It makes me think sometimes things fall between the cracks. You know, sometimes we've seen CNN news stories, especially 10 years ago, that, that, you know, leak information that, that wasn't supposed to get out and then it's kind of quickly scrubbed. So yeah, uh, yeah, it makes me wonder and just wanted to get that out there. It makes me wonder, you know, about those little things may have just been artifacts of, of, uh, of things that were meant to be aired, but they had maybe forgotten the producers forgot that it made those statements in the middle. And then when they caught played it, they caught it and like, Oh, oh okay. We got to pull that program because yeah, it really right. was meant to be played at a time when the population was already uh, reduction was already further in progress, possibly. So, so. Hey, Dave, I got a, I got Dave. a question. No, sorry. Can I inject no. just a second? Yes. I got a question for you. Um, so are you saying that the, the spraying of the atmosphere is actually causing disease and killing people off? Or is it also um, uh, giving infertility to people as well? Is that for me or Dave? No, I'm sorry. Me. That was for you. For me, okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I highly recommend. Got a got an answer. Got that answer for you. I have a video on one of my websites. It's the lecture by da Dr. David Ayub, which I actually referred to a few minutes ago. He does a 90-minute lecture. I absolutely glued to the screen. It is about how mercury destroys fertility in both men and women. Oh wow! That's, it it. it, it it's interesting you say that because I, I've never taken the flu shot. My wife has never taken the flu shot, and we have four children, <laughs> which, is, which is an anomaly, uh, to be honest with you, when compared to what's kind of going on out there. Because uh, I have to be honest with you, most people are delusional and think that, um, that the world is actually overpopulated at this point. So there's a lot of people I run into that don't have children or replace their children with pets or a plant. It's just, it's just strange and bizarre to me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely agree with you. I mean, it, it reminds me of, you mentioned the scripture earlier about, uh, um, I shall destroy those who destroy the earth. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 Um, okay. So, um, uh, so that's revelation eleven eighteen, which, which actually makes that statement. And, we start, you know, people often ask the question, why do they want to do this? What is this all about? And uh, there's a lot behind this, but it just reminds me of another scripture, and we can take this wherever you want. But sure. there's one scripture in Isaiah 14, uh, 16 through 17 that says, they, shall see, uh, they that shall see shall narrowly look upon thee. Now it's talking about see. the Antichrist, essentially. Mm -hmm shall narrowly look upon thee. Now, what does it mean? That means when you squint your eyes and you look in disbelief. That's what a narrow look is. So they shall look at you, they shall narrowly look upon thee. This is Isaiah 14, 16 through 17, for those who want to check it out. And consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? 
that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof that opened not the house of his prisoners. I have goosebumps reading that because that's what we would call a technology statement. Right. How can a man, right. in this case, exactly. the Antichrist, do those things without modern technology? Mm -hmm. Exactly. And right. Make the world as a wilderness. Yeah. Dave, yeah. Dave, we still got plenty of time. Can we take this back to the point of where we find Mercury? And you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. I think that would be do a good us. thing because maybe Russ, Russ doesn't know that, although I think he probably does. Yeah. <laughs> if ahead. you did a complete study today where we find Mercury, well, and, and Dave and Eric are familiar with my work with um, fallen angels and the technology that was turned from biological to mechanical. What was running through the blood, or whether you want to call them nep Nephilim, fallen angels, angels, the reason they can blink in and out, they have a vascular system of mercury. Where do we find mercury recently? Those pools and lakes underneath pyramids, all the pyramids everywhere, located on certain grid lines, directly related. Now, a lot of the uh, fringe scientists are saying, you know what? We're looking at a large worldwide grid, electromagnetic grid of a Wi-Fi system. And what powered that was the pools of mercury that we find underneath. It all ties in to terraforming to bring back an environment that these entities live in. Mm -hmm. mm. That is fascinating. I'll, I'll, I, I can tie into that in, a, in, a, in by saying this, that's, that's very, very fascinating, is that one of the things I've been talking about for about, well, ever since my amalgams came out and I realized that this was all mercury that caused my problems, is that mercury causes a host of emotional issues. But one thing to the person who really pays attention to patterns and tries to be very perceptive is you learn over time to discern the difference between when you're experiencing a biochemical type of issue in your body or when you're experiencing a spiritual issue. Um, for instance, being spiritually oppressed. The one thing we know now that mercury causes suicidal thoughts, generalized fear, panic attacks, OCD, racing thoughts, ringing in the ears, and all. And from this generalized fear, you will see personality types like, like extreme jealousy or anxiety or anger and fits of rage. You see all of this stuff coming. But when you experience mercury poisoning and you try very hard to discern the difference between what is just a biochemical change in your body and what is something that I have called and the friends that I know who've experienced this, uh, especially in regard with mercury, is oppression. We feel like we're oppressed, but it's external. We say this is an external thing. This is not biochemical. I'm feeling this external thing. And there's a lot we can be said about this. But the common factor is there's something about mercury. I've said this for years. It's so fascinating you said that. There's something about mercury that makes us so, it makes us more vulnerable to this oppression in the experience of myself and the people that I've talked to. And yeah, so go ahead. You know, in Genesis 6, it says that the entire world was contaminated. That's forensically, spiritually, both interconnected. So 
when we look at fossil remains and everything, nobody, not everybody was converted into a Nephilim or Gabor. So most of the population was perfectly physically normal, but yet they were contaminated, all except Noah and his family. And that meant literally, forensically, he was kept clean from whatever this contamination was. So what we're seeing, it, it's twofold. It's killing off the population, but it's also changing them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so just as in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Nothing oh. new under the sun. What happened before is happening again, and we're seeing it right in front of our eyes. And, Absolutely. And yeah. Throw something else at you, too, or at it. Um, I like the direction the show's going in. I really do. Um it would have been a good show anyway, but you know this this is really fascinating. Um, we know that metal is is a um, good um, absorber of radio waves and and things like that. I remember when I was a kid, there were there were cases where kids had braces and they would actually be able to hear radio stations. Um, so is it possible? And I'm throwing this out there: is it possible that mercury and aluminum, either in a conjunction with each other or by themselves, are can be used as a tool to to send um, uh, messages, radio waves, or anything else to the human brain, or even to to be able to focus on on the, all the aluminum in the brain and to cause uh, an outside force to to basically destroy a person's brain. Or Dave, even working in conjunction with an RFID chip. Yeah, yeah. Well, when you here's something that I came across that that ties in with that. Um, I haven't studied, I haven't been able, this is a very hard subject to study, but I came across something about the ruling class of ancient civilizations like in Egypt actually hoarding gold. And there's, it's very hard to find this reference, but I came across one and it blew my mind, but they actually use the gold in part to ingest it. Mm -hmm. And when I saw that, it made complete sense because with my background in studying mercury toxicity, it's like for the, the process of ruling a population is made much easier. In fact, I've read studies that say this exactly, well, almost exactly. They say that populations are much more controllable or manipulatable when they're mercury toxic. And mercury, because it causes a generalized fear, and that's what we, my business partner, I actually refer to it, because we would wake up and we'd be fearful in the morning, and we talked to you like everything is fine, nothing's going wrong, but we are just experiencing fear, mm -hmm. and so we began calling it generalized fear. This went away when our feelings came out, hmm. and it came back four and a half years years later when uh, chemtrails began, and I started saying, yes. So how this ties in is that. Gold is one of the very most powerful chelators to get mercury out of the body. In fact, gold and mercury bind so well that in the Jerome mercury vapor meter, that's how they measure mercury in the air. They actually have gold foil. They pass air over the gold foil. Mercury vapor, little microscopic particles, particles of mercury, very small, will collect on the gold foil. And then they will measure the change in resistance because gold and mercury have a different resistance value. Right, right. And when you when you contaminate that mercury, uh, that gold foil with mercury, the resistance changes and they can do a scaled correlation and find out how much mercury vapor was in the air. And this is all based upon the fact that gold chelates mercury very strongly. 
So very interesting, very interesting stuff. But if there's if they're putting a whole bunch of um, uh, aluminum into the air, and let's just speculate that some of it stays there and it doesn't fall to the ground, um, they could probably use that uh, to increase radio transmission. Don't you think that's a possibility? Oh, I think it's scientifically solid that when you ionize any gas, including the atmosphere, with very, very small particles, and these particles are too small to be captured by HEPA filters. Mm -hmm. HEPA filters don't catch them, so they're less than 0.3 microns. These are very, very small particulates. When you ionize an atmosphere, it becomes more conductive. And for people to understand what that really means, you can go on YouTube and find videos of people who will take a television set plugged into the wall and they will drop it into a tank of purified water and the television set will remain working now television sets have tens of thousands of volts in them because that's what's required to drive a cathode ray tube in the old television sets right you can find these videos the reason they could do that and don't ever do this at home do not do this (laughs) you will get hurt and you do not want to do this The reason they could do that is because the water was purified so it contained no minerals. So here we have a substance that we can liken unto the atmosphere. We have water with no minerals, does not conduct electricity. In in the same fashion, the air, when you douse it with particles, when you increase the particulate count, then you will increase the conductivity, the electromagnetic conductivity. That's what radio waves are. That's what 5G, it's electromagnetics. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing as light, but it's in a higher frequency. The uh, electromagnetic frequencies will will, uh, transmit through the medium much more efficiently. So there you go. We know that scientifically. So there's another reason. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) go ahead, go for it, man. Well, you know, my my first wife, you know, um, she she died, she had... um, Oh, what do you call it? Oh, I can't think of it. It's um, She had an abscess in her brain, and it burst, and that's what killed her. But before she died, um, you know, a few months before she died, she'd wake up and she said, do you hear that buzzing noise? And I'd say no, but I didn't doubt her, you know, because I've been studying this stuff for a while now. And uh, And there'd be nights when she wouldn't hear it, but there'd be nights when she would hear it. And... Uh, I was I was of the opinion that back at that time, because if you talk with other people that were researching uh, the UFO uh, fallen angel connection, that uh, some of their wives were having problems too, and I thought that was kind of interesting, uh, and it all all those problems involved the brain, and um, so I, I saw that as a direct attempt to try to dissuade us from studying and what we were studying at, and uh, some some of them you know some some people have lost their lives. Uh, Dave Flynn is another one that. Uh, who uh, got a glioblastoma. Of course, yes, it was. Uh, he had more of a chance of getting it because his father died of the same thing. But um, is there there might have been a way that they could uh, use the, the, the beams that they could they could shoot up into the ionosphere or, or even lower because that's where this aluminum would be and to be able to focus it on one person in one area. I don't doubt that that's possible whatsoever. So, um, yeah, I, I do believe in, in working with... Um, uh, with uh, I work with psychiatric patients, and uh, you know schizophrenia is is the norm in that place a lot. And when I hear hear them talk about voices, you know, uh, I I see a differentiation between voices because there's some voices that um, that uh, 
that are demonic, of course, you know, it's, you know, kill him, you know, stuff. But then there are some that, that seem to be a little bit more benign, and, and then some people seem to have both. But, um, you know, what better way to, you know, find somebody that's ingested a lot of mercury or or has a lot of aluminum in them or because it was placed there by somebody or something, and then, uh, and then start speaking into their ears, you know, and, and things like that. So I think that, although I think a lot of it's demonic, I think that some of it has to do with, with uh, the powers that be playing around. And what better way to do it? And, um, and I've noticed that, you know, back when I was a kid, you know, very few people were schizophrenic. Uh, mm-hmm. But, man, it seems to be almost like an, an epidemic now. And I think a lot of yeah. that has to do with marijuana because I think marijuana um, – especially in the strengths that they have it today, uh, clicks on a gene for schizophrenia. I'm convinced of that. Nobody will ever tell me that that's wrong. I'll tell you, it's a gateway is what I think, you know, just in a spiritual sense, it's a gateway to uh, artificial DMA, uh, DMT. Right. So my question, Russ, would be, okay, so we found it in tobacco. What about in marijuana? Do you think it's, uh, you know, concentrated in marijuana too? I don't know. You know, that would be a very interesting test because mm-hmm. mercury, mercury causes so many diseases um, and the, uh, the globalists and actually through the ruling class through different ages of history seem to have loved using it on the population. At least that's what it appears. They did everything they could to promote it, at least in the 1800s and 1900s. So I would love someone, I mean, if I, I wish I could do this all day long, you know, I wish I didn't have a job. <laughs> just, I would go rent a mercury meter and I would, uh, I would do some research on this. But uh, I, if, if fungicides are used on marijuana, if those fungicides, which many do, in fact, is, to my knowledge, most of them, not all of them, most of them contain mercury, then naturally you're going to get mercury in the result in, uh, of it. So that's uh, that's entirely possible, yeah. Well, even but even if it's aluminum and barium and strontium, you know, those things could be falling onto the plants too and causing a bunch of problems, right? Oh yeah, in fact, aluminum we know, and this is right from the David Ayub interview again. Aluminum makes mercury ten times more toxic. I mean, uh, ten times, not ten percent. And they did a study. He actually talks about a study where they did with rats. And they injected X amount of aluminum in uh, a set of rats, and 10% died. They injected X amount of mercury in a certain set of rats, and 10% died. And then they injected X amount of mercury mixed with aluminum in X amount of rats, and it was 100% mortality rate. Wow. Now, we know this. This is science. We know that mercury and aluminum react violently. They're synergistic, and there's an at least an order of magnitude in uh, increase in toxicity when they're mixed yet both of them are in many vaccines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah. well, we've, we've gotten to the point in this household where we, we very rarely will cook with aluminum um, we don't drink out of soda cans anymore um, you know we don't drink soda for that matter that much anymore but because uh, <laughs> that's you know that's got its own inherent problems but um, oh yeah and I would, it would be interesting to see because it seems like everything that um, is sugar-free has aspartame in it. And I, I wonder if anybody, man, there's so many questions that we have that we need answered. You know, I wonder if anybody's done a test to see how aspartame affects uh, mercury and, and uh, aluminum in the body too. That would, because I know that stuff's junk and that stuff's killing a lot of people. Um, well, Dave, this program is like planting a whole lot of seeds for a whole lot of people that are listening audience. Maybe some will jump on board and, and do the research. Yeah. So 
this is, you know, this is like a good little think tank tonight, man. I'm really happy with where things have gone too. Yeah, inviting you on the show is one of the best things we ever did, Russ. But <laughs> I'm so glad. I thank you so well, much. I just like it because you know we started out with a tree trunk and now we're going into branches, you know, and but, oh yeah, but still focusing on the tree trunk, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, with with getting you know going back to the chemtrails, so we we've determined that there are about twelve different kinds, eleven or twelve different kinds, and. Uh, they all have different effects and everything else like that. Um, and I asked you this a while back, and just for the people that have seen this video, I want want you to clarify for them. There's a video that's been out for a long time now of a plane landing, and the plane and the people that are that are that published the video. Um, well, let me explain what's in the video. A plane is landing, and it looks like he didn't shut his chemtrail ports off, and he's landing at an airport, and um, and we had talked about this the, the last time I think you were on, um, and you said that that necessarily wasn't the uh, the chemtrail ports. Uh, so you know a lot of people use that to, to prove chemtrails, but you know I know that you're a man of honor and dignity, and, and if something's not true, you're going to point it out. So I, I think you've seen that video because we talked about it, uh, where the plane's mm-hmm. landing and all the smoke's coming off it or seems to be coming out of the back of it, and. Um, mm-hmm. you, right. what do you think about that? Is that, was that really the chemtrails, uh, not being shut off or was it something else? No, I, I, that, I don't believe at all that that particular video, um, it has anything to do with chemtrails. What, um, I think it's good for people to understand is that when you're flying, um, well, let me, let me go back to physics just a little bit. If you have, we had an experiment we did in junior high school where we had a, a glass jar and we would take all the air out of it with a vacuum pump. And we would actually have a little cloud form in that, in, that, uh, in that jar. And then when we put the air back in, we just opened the valve and all the air rushed back in, the cloud was instantly gone. Huh. And what happens is you need a certain amount of air pressure in order to facilitate holding that water in small particulates. And when it's small enough, it's not visible. It's when it begins to condense into larger particulates that it becomes uh, generally, it becomes visible. So with that particular video, uh, it was obviously, if you look at the artifacts, first of all, the chemtrail or the trail, the, they weren't chemtrails, the jet trails that you saw coming off that jet were coming off the wingtips, which are wingtip vortices. Mm-hmm. Uh, you saw them coming in the um, just outside the, the inner flaps that come down so that the plane, it, it increases the lift of the wings and it comes down in the back part of a wing. People who have flown, flown have seen that. That increases the lift so you can actually fly slower. So when you land, you can land slower. You'll see that one of the trails came just outside of that, uh, that junction where that big flap ended on the wing. Mm-hmm. What you're seeing here in this case is you're flying in an atmosphere which is, sup- which is saturated with humidity. I mean, near 100% humidity, very, very high humidity. And then what you're doing is those low-pressure areas um, on the wingtip vortices or where it, right on the outside of the, those flaps, those are the places where those trails form. So um, people don't need to watch that video to prove that chemtrails exist. I believe, you know, to be totally honest, and you have to have integrity in your data because... If not, you're going to be found out eventually anyway, so it's not smart to try to make anything up. Right. Um, the, that was a plane that was heavily loaded, probably had a very heavy cargo. It was landing in very moist air, mm-hmm. and so the low-pressure areas 
uh, right where you find them, take vortices and right outside the, the inner flaps, you see those vort the vortices coming from those areas. So that was just, that was actually condensation trails. And in fact, today, you know, your mainstream media is saying, oh, condensation trails are what come out of the engine. That's what come out of the engine because kerosene burns and it creates water vapor. Well, that's a whole nother story. But do you know, I have the picture from Wikipedia. They used to call a contrail, their picture of a contrail. Yeah was coming off the end of a wing. There was no port involved and no engine. Oh, wow. It was a condensation trail caused by the zone. Yeah. Right. And then, of course, if you look now, they've changed all the pictures. So now <laughs> it shows coming out of, out of the engines. And, of course, we know Wikipedia is so well known for that kind of thing. Yeah, for uh, sure. So, so, yeah, that video is not something that people should use to prove that chemtrails exist. What you can prove is the research. We have multiple scientists. We have whistleblowers. We have rainwater samples. My own rainwater samples show aluminum in the rainwater six times above the higher, the upper limit of safe drinking water, according to the EPA. Mm -hmm. The maximum in drinking water is 50 micrograms per liter. And if, you, if it's above that, they say it's not safe. I think it's not safe below that, but that's what the EPA says, and they're usually pretty generous. Um, ours was uh, 600. Wow. If I don't, no, no, I'm sorry, 300. 300 micrograms, it was six times higher than the 50. It was 300 micrograms per liter in the rainwater. And we are getting that, and we have since chemtrail started, all around the world. Huh. So there wow. is one of your real hard evidences of where of where this aluminum is coming from. Mm -hmm. So Now, you see, you mentioned something earlier about coal ash. Um, is, and I've read online, and I might have read it on, um, on your you know, your Facebook, maybe somebody brought it up that um, that's the one of the ways that they're trying to, to get rid of the coal, all the ex, extra coal ash um, because of uh, uh, the ecologists out there that are trying to stop the coal burning and everything. I think that's what I read. It's, it's kind of sketchy, but um, that and um, who exactly is doing this? Is it is it uh, a private company that's spraying these things or is it put into fuel or is it? Um, what exactly is it? I, I would think that if, if, if they put, um, you know, uh, even microgranules of, uh, aluminum in, into a fuel that it's going to mess up an engine somehow. So, um, does it, are there special ports on airplanes? Uh, um, it seemed to me that I had read somewhere where there's basically maybe two bases in the United States that are responsible for the planes that are, are seen doing this. Is that right? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I've actually talked to people who've gone to the bases and they say, here's one of the places all the chemtrail planes are taking off. And, you know, that may be true. And there, and I'm sure that there's several. Um, the origin, I, I, I have a flight path of them here that I see since when I moved here, since three days after I moved to this location. Mm -hmm. And what they're doing is they're, we tracked them all the way to the coast. They're flying over the Bay of Fundy. Right. They're coming straight west, and then they're flying into Bangor, Maine, and then they're going in different directions, uh, either before, a little before Bangor or over Bangor. They start to disperse in all different directions. Mm -hmm. that's, as far as flight path, you know, that's what I've seen. Um, uh, let's see. The other thing was when you um, – uh, how do I word this? You were talking about the um, – uh, the uh, the aluminum. Now, there's there's actually patents that actually tested, or um, I believe they tested, but there's patents for using aluminum, pumping it into the fuel system, and letting it go through the combustion part of a high bypass turbofan engine. Really? And if it's 
Yep. And if it's small enough, according to the patents, it will maintain its integrity when it comes out the engine, despite the fact that the engines are burning so hot. Now, here's a couple things to think about. Everything in life, usually when you don't know much about it, it turns out to be a lot more complicated the more you learn. Mm -hmm. And I have found that about the chemtrail program. I believe that there's multifaceted things going on here. You have contractors, military contractors, and you have the military. Every jet I have ever checked that has a trail over my area was military. And huh. You can check this online with Flight Radar 24. You can track all commercial jets, but military jets don't show up because they don't have transponders. They don't have commercial transponders. All the jets that have not had trails in our area were commercial, 100%. Hmm. I've never had an exception in my area when I've tested. I'm not saying other things don't exist, but that's uh, the case that we've had here. Now, wow. when you look carefully, yeah, when you look carefully at these trails, um, you'll see different types of trails. Some of them come out and they're kind of uniform, but there's two other types of trails. One of them are called bifurcated and they actually come out and, and you can see that there's actually like two trails or three trails that will come out of a single engine. Mm -hmm. And when you analyze and look and look at close-up photography, what you can surmise or, or hype, uh, uh, hypothetically speaking, you can look at that and say, it really looks like there are injectors in the outer rim of the high bypass turbofan and they're injecting into the bypass air. Huh. And you can see the separate plumes coming out of a single engine. That is the only um, way you can rationally explain that phenomenon. The other type of trail you'll see is we call the drippy edge chem trail. And that's the kind I think everybody's seen them where they, they have this trail and then there's all these edges there's all these drips kind of coming down from right. the trail. I've seen yeah. a lot of those. It's pretty common. Now, when you're pumping nanoparticle or very small particle, I talked earlier about them being less than 0.3 microns, you'll usually use something like a diaphragm pump. Mm -hmm. It's a special kind of pump. You can't use a conventional pump with semi-solids like that. You need a special pump. A diaphragm pump is a pump that pulses. It uses a diaphragm that oscillates in and out and one-way valves, and it forces the semi-solid out through the tubes, pipes, whatever you're doing. It, I think that what we're seeing when we see the drippy edge, we're seeing a different type of chemtrail. we got to look at all the details carefully and recognize there are ways you can categorize them that are consistently different from each other. I think that they're using a diaphragm pump to pump the semi-solids, and that's what's carrying, uh, that's what's creating that drip in a downward direction is because you have a diaphragm pump that's moving the semi-solids out through the injectors, wherever they might be, whether they're in the bypass or uh, combustion, uh, you know, fuel, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because they almost yeah. look like um, like you would the, the chemtrail or contrail, whatever, that you would see from a um, pulse engine. You know, it's poop, 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 you know. And those, exactly. Yeah. E exactly, yeah. And the thing... The other thing that people see is sometimes you will see a trail coming out the very back end of a jet. Now, what that tells you is that they're not injecting in the bypass air and they're not necessarily injecting later in the fuel line, but they're actually either adding it to the fuel or they're pumping it into the fuel line intentionally. Right. Of course, this is all intentional because this doesn't ha this doesn't happen on its own mm -hmm. because the, if you see that single trail coming out of the end of the fuselage, that's coming from the auxiliary power unit. It's called the APU. Right. And that, yeah, that burns the fuel. It uh, turns a generator and it provides electricity for the jet. 
So if you see that, you will um, normally, you'll know then that this is using a fuel injection type of uh, dispersant system. So I think it's, yeah, I think there's at least three different modalities that they're actually injecting. And there's one more where you'll see it spread across the top of a wing. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some photograph, these are much more rare, but I've actually seen them in person and I've seen some photography, really good photography of them. And if you look, there's actually a patent that shows um, a dispersal system that will release from the wing, and it does it across the whole area of the wing, and there's certain special advantages to having that kind of a dispersal system. So wow. it does exist. It does exist. So there's four separate dispersal methods right there. You know, one thing that I was thinking about, and I just flashed on, <laughs> it's funny how these things come to your head. And... Uh, but, you know, years ago, I, I was a, a pipe, pipe fitter and plumber, and um, I remember being on a plumbing job with my cousin, and we uh, we were bored, and we were burning ants and stuff like that. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but we uh, we decided to take a torch to an aluminum can, and torches burn pretty hot. You know, uh, oxyacetylene torches burn pretty hot, uh, hot enough to burn, uh, to blow through steel. But every time that we would try to, to uh, melt an aluminum can, it would just kind of disintegrate. You know, it, there, it didn't turn into a little puddle of aluminum. It was just like, poof, it was gone. So what I'm thinking, since you said that, that the uh, engines burn very hot and those pieces of aluminum, those micro or nano-sized particles of aluminum, um, probably wouldn't affect it anyway because if a, if a cutting torch makes it disappear like it was never there, then injecting it into a hot engine like that would, would not be a bad factor because... Uh, I mean, for the engine anyway, uh, because uh, yeah. it, it, would, it would be just turning it into nanoparticles like the uh, like the torch did. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, in fact, I think that's part of the idea of that particular patent that talks about that is that that's a nice cost-saving method because you can actually decrease the particle size. It doesn't affect the engine over the tested term. Now, I think over the long term, it probably would affect the engine, but it would probably take years and years because the particles are so small. But uh Nevertheless, uh, that is, you know, that is one of the, uh, that could help. It's called sublimation, you know, when you go from one state, you skip a state and go to another state of matter. So yeah, it's it's almost like sublimation in a way, but at least you're getting very, very small aerosolized particulates. So. Wow, very interesting. Extremely interesting. <laughs> wow. So what, you know, what are, what are the kind of things you got to tell us there? We got uh, probably about 10 minutes left. And uh, I want you also to, to tell people about any of the work that you've got going, uh, your websites. Uh, by the way, have you ever written a book? No, no. I've had dreams of writing a book, but I spend so much time making a living. And the rest of my free time I spend uh, trying to wake the world up to what's happening in our world. Mm -hmm. And so I've never had the time, but would love it if I had the time. Yeah. yeah. So, Just on a side note, what's your occupation or you care to say? Yeah, no, that uh, we, my business partner and I started a small publishing business. We actually uh, research um, the uh, scientific benefits of herbs using uh, a mainstream medical, mostly mainstream medical information, because there's a tremendous amount, people don't realize, a tremendous amount of mainstream research on herbs and vitamins. Mm -hmm. And um, this stuff often doesn't see the light of day. So we originally published a 550-page, updatable, three-ring-bound uh, reference for herbalists and uh, naturopathic doctors. 
And since then, we've expanded to a computer program and providing websites. And so that's what we do for nice. a living. You what was the name of your site, site again? Um, the, the most common site is globalskywatch.com. Okay. That's for chemtrails. And then we have another uh, website that is for everything else, and it's called Orbis Vitae. It's like Latin for circle. Orbis is circle, and Vitae is life, circle of life. Orbisvitae.com. And, um, and Barry, we were talking a little while ago about uh, one thing I'd love to tell you about is the, that many of these diseases, if not most, but every single graph I have showing the disease rates per capita in the population from the 1800s onward show that these diseases that were all tested, every single one of them where the data was compiled, this is from official data sources, government sources, the... Um, disease that was credited for getting rid of pertussis, for instance, came into existence after pertussis was almost already eradicated. Oh, wow. And wow. I have, yes, I have a whole graph, a whole list of these graphs compiling this data, showing this data on our on the Orbis Vitae website. If you go to the homepage, just scroll down and you'll see the article talking about diseases were eradicated before the related vaccine was introduced. Over and over, and now people are doing other research, and I'm seeing all of this research come out online saying, hey, this disease, too, uh, was 90 or 85% eradicated. They introduced the vaccine, and then they took credit. Later on, they took credit for eradicating the vaccine or oh eradicating God. the disease, giving themselves credit. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, just wanted to, to fill that in. That's one, one thing. But those are the two main websites that uh, where we where I try to get information out and we, we uh, cooperate with other friends and partners to try to get information out to the public. So. You had mentioned that you take a regimen of uh, different herbs and stuff like that, and it helps you. Would you, uh, would you mind sharing that so that people could maybe look into that themselves if they're concerned? I would Absolutely. be, uh, I would, I'd be uh, willing to listen as well because I've been experimenting with vitamins and uh, herbs myself, so any good information would be very beneficial. Absolutely. Um, okay, there's a lot here. Let's if we start with aluminum, um, and I I use pretty much probably most of everything that I'm that I'm saying here in this uh, right here. Um, malic acid is better or as good as any pharmaceutical at removing aluminum from the body. So that's malic acid. It's off the shelf. You can get health food stores. That's what I use to get aluminum to come to continuously pull aluminum on my body. Um, you can also use silica, and you can use herbs like horsetail. What's that noise? Oh, oh I'm, I'm sorry. It's me. I'm scrambling for a pen because I'm taking notes. We can talk. We can talk. No problem. Yeah, so horsetail contains uh, is the most silica-rich uh, silica herb, and so that's another way you can get silica uh, for removing aluminum. Um, you can remove... Oh, uh, there's so much. Oh my gosh. Mercury is the biggest culprit because it causes so many diseases. Uh, on the Orbis Fatai website, I have a list of uh, about 200 diseases that are associated with mercury. And a lot of that contains a lot of the research I've done that show the connection. Um, and so mercury detox, you can, there's several things you can do. One of the most powerful things you can do in, in 90, almost everything I recommend to people is uh, natural. However, there was a chemical called DMSA, 
and you could take it orally as a capsule. And about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, the FDA took it off the shelves. You can only get it by prescription. The reason they did this, I believe, is because so many autistic and spectrum kids were being cured with DMSA that it showed a core, it showed that it must be mercury that was the culprit. And they had, of course, the FDA that protects the pharmaceutical industry had to get rid of that information as quickly as possible. I think that's also another reason uh, uh, that they include mercury in some of the chemtrail types is because there was so much data showing a correlation between vaccinated or mercury uh, poisoned uh, children and adults that that data was becoming really conclusive and pretty much uh, no amount of propaganda could uh, could fight it. So by poisoning everybody, now there's no more control. Right. Now that everybody's breathing aerosolized uh, coal fly ash and other things, but uh, coal fly ash it contains methyl mercury, which is a very very bioavailable form of mercury, which is the same stuff that's in vaccines. Now the pool is contaminated, and none of these tests can really have statistical meaning because now you're going to have children who aren't vaccinated who will start getting vaccine-related uh, symptoms simply because they're breathing it in, and so it just mixes the pool. That makes sense. Yeah. So DMSA for mercury, you can also stimulate mercury uh, uh, glutathione production in your body. Glutathione is so is a chemical your body makes. It's so important that recent articles have come out saying basically it is probably the single most important identifier indicator for how long you're going to live. Wow. If you produce more glutathione, you're going to live longer, period. It's like it's like the new lifespan predictor. The reason is, is glutathione removes heavy metals and other things from the body. So if you can stimulate glutathione production, you can do that with N-acetylcysteine. Just a warning, take very, very small amounts in the beginning and then build up. The reason is, is because N-acetylcysteine is a precursor. In other words, your body uses those components to actually make glutathione. You can also take glutathione uh, from off the shelf. The, there's liposomal glutathione, which is the newest, latest, greatest thing, but it's real expensive, but it's the most effective. If you take regular glutathione, 90% of it's destroyed in your stomach. Right. So better get it in, the better way is to get it injected with an IV at a clinic. You can also take, and this is what I do right now, is take reduced glutathione, and about 40 to 60% of that actually will get delivered to your body um, it's a, it's a better way of preserving it. Mm-hmm. So glutathione production. And then the most important thing people should be doing is stimulating their immune systems. Um, I highly recommend a product called nature's immune stimulator. In fact, this is the single I've seen more people converted who knew nothing about herbs. They were converted to using herbs by this particular product. So just look it up online. I won't promote my, I don't want to promote my own business. Um, I don't want anybody ever, I'm not doing this for money. Just go out and find this product. It's all, all over the internet. Um, this is what I use when I feel like I'm getting sick or overwhelmed and my immune system needs a boost. And this has, you can take this product that has all these things, a little expensive, but let me tell you, is it worth, you know, probably a, a, I would take $5 worth if you broke the you know, bottle. Is it worth me not missing a day of work for $5? Absolutely it oh, is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So even though it's a little expensive, but you've got beta-glucan in it. Beta-glucan is a very powerful immune stimulant. You've got colostrum, which is also an immune stimulant. There's lots of research out there. In fact, I'm looking at our own right here. Cordyceps, uh, very uh, uh, very powerful immune stimulant. 
and mataki and reishi mushrooms. Those are uh, pretty well known too as being immune stimulants. And all of these are in all of these ingredients. Um, and a wrap. Uh, I always have trouble saying this. Arabaglenactin is also it's a polysaccharide uh, that's in echinacea. A lot of people know about the power of echinacea. That's also in this product. These are all together in a product. Or you can buy them separately and take them in and see what works for you. Those in that product, Nature's Immune Stimulator? Nature's Immune Stimulator. It's made by a company called Nature Sunshine Products. Okay. Echinacea is something I use all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah ech echinacea. <clears throat> we know scientifically that echinacea does stimulate the immune system. Um, so echinacea is very valuable. Um, another thing is algin. One of the biggest, most difficult things about mercury detox is that your body will get rid of the mercury through the bile ducts and it throws it into your intestines. The problem is a percentage of that mercury is reabsorbed when it's right. in your intestines. Mm -hmm. what, you can, what you can do is you got to get something in your intestines that binds to the mercury so it doesn't get reabsorbed. Right. Uh, there's a product called Elgin. It's, uh, it's made by different companies, but Nature Sunshine Products, um, again, go out and look for it uh, if you want it. It is a non-digestible polysaccharide from brown seaweed that is super, super binding to not only mercury, not only barium, but also strontium. Oh, wow. So this will get in your intestines, and as your body throws these metals into your colon, you won't reabsorb as much because the algin will bind to it and keep it. And this product is one of the ones that people actually notice a difference. Not everybody, but about 60% of people who I know have taken it will come back and say, this is miraculous. I mean, I feel the difference. They're like, I, when I take this, I feel the difference. Um, so uh, that's to prevent reabsorption of those toxic minerals. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But first you got to get rid of them, put them in your intestines, right? Well, right. Well, your body does that naturally at a certain oh, pace. Okay. But when, when we're, you know, through, uh, through mechanisms like um, uh, methylation and, and uh, glutathione, especially, your body gets rid of them naturally, and if you can limit how many you're reabsorbing, all the better. And, if, and that's especially important when you're promoting detox and you have even more metals going into your colon. It's even more important to make sure you've got something binding there. Yeah, for sure. And right now in this day and age, um, uh, I, I had a heart attack in 2011. Mm -hmm. and something incredibly valuable came from it. The only problem they found with my heart was that I was super low in potassium. Ah, and yes. When, and when your potassium yeah, That's pretty common. Absolutely. Like quite a bit of it every day. Absolutely. You need a lot of potassium. And what's interesting is mainstream media has a whole bunch of shows out that are scaring, uh, the abil scaring everybody for, away from potassium. Mm -hmm. uh, I need a banana, a banana a day to keep the... Heart going in the doctor away. I had a heart attack too. Same thing. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Now, here's the important thing. Um, doing uh, barium is such barium sequesters and causes the human body to get rid of potassium at very fast levels. In fact, it is so effective that it's actually used, barium is used to artificially induce heart attacks in laboratory animals. Interesting. So, when you have barium exposure, it will lower your potassium. And I can attest that after I learned what my problem was, because I had this terrible heart pain when they would spray that particular chemtrail type, mm -hmm. I would get this terrible heart pain and have heart problems terribly for years. And I tried all kinds of different things. After I got back from the hospital, 
I started going on potassium, and you can take well over a thousand milligrams at a time. That pain went away, and I and and now whenever I feel like I'm low in potassium, I'll take a nice dose, and if I have even a little inkling of that pain, it goes away within the hour. It's amazing. Now, what, yeah, I, I got to share this with you, man. I'm sorry I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off, but no, no, I, I have. Um, something called atrial fibrillation it's paroxysmal which means it comes and goes but uh, i've noticed through my own research i had to tell the doctors i had to actually educate the doctors that um, i think it's from uh, the level that they say is is good for your in your blood is 3.0 to 3. Point, yeah 3.0 and uh, i noticed that when i get down around 3.2 I start having PVCs and I can go in AFib. However, if I, I notice that the PVCs are starting and I start taking an extra potassium a day, they go away. Absolutely. So I wonder mm -hmm. if I'm um, getting exposed to barium and it's, and it's removing the potassium out of my body. Absolutely. I know I could tell, I mean, I, I got to restrain myself because I know triathletes who have, um, started all like the whole uh, well most of them who were in a whole uh, set of riding you know group that rides together all started having the same health problems uh -huh. and we started working on them you know that we gave them some research and they got you know they started getting rid of their health problems but they're like why we are like the top fit we ride 500 miles a week why would this happen to us? And I'm like, chemtrails, you're being, and as soon as they heard that, they're like, wow, that makes sense because I've got this and I've got this and this happens to me. I'm like, yes, you're being exposed. So the thing about potassium, here's how, here's how the world works. Everybody know, everybody, your audience, I'm sure knows this, but the FDA is protecting the pharmaceutical industry and they work together. So what did the FDA do to potassium over the counter potassium several years ago? They did the same thing they did with DMSA because it was curing so many children of autism and other related spectrum uh, conditions is people, they, they limited potassium tablets to contain no more than 99 milligrams per capsule. So right. what happens, and this happens every time I tell people who are having heart problems, I say, you may, I'm, I don't give medical advice. I'm not a doctor and I don't treat, diagnose or prescribed anything. That's not what I do. I only share my research and experience. So I will tell people, friends, family, whoever, you're having that heart pain, you're having some, you know, you're having some fibrillation, you're having some, uh, some uh, other symptoms that you know something's going on with your heart. Try potassium, and so, and I would tell them, you know, typically you're going to take, you know, ten to fifteen hundred mill, you're going to take a thousand to fifteen hundred milligrams. And they're like, well, how many capsules is that? Well, that's ten to fifteen capsules. Like, oh my gosh, no, I can't take that much. So it's psychological. The FDA limited a capsule to have no more than 99 milligrams. And now shows like The Resident, these medical shows on television and other shows and movies are now scaring people to death from potassium, saying, oh, you got to be careful. You could have a heart attack if you have too much potassium. Yet your body can take, according to Mayo Clinic, upwards over 4,800 milligrams a day. That would be, what, 480 of those tablets right. a day? Right. We're talking, but people... But because they don't make the pills with more in them, what the effect is in the public is the, the public is taking less potassium. They'll say, oh, I'll take a couple capsules. And I would tell them, you're taking nothing. 200 yeah. milligrams of potassium is nothing. You need 1,000 or 1,200 at a time. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I can't take 12 things. That just seems like it's too much. But that's exactly why I think 
they limit it. There's no other good reason to do that. Well, the only other way to get it is a lot of that is like potassium citrate, potassium uh, gluconate, stuff like that. But the uh, the potassium chloride is the one that's really effective. It, it it's more it has more bioavailability in the body, and that can only be obtained through a doctor. Okay, so uh, if you can go go to your doctor with a good reason why you think you need potassium, um, and 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 a good way to find that out is to have them do a blood test and find out if you're low. You know, mm-hmm. and then he can prescribe. If your kidneys are working good, they'll prescribe it for you. And uh, and that's what I had him do. Because I, I told the doctors, I've told them for years and years, every time my potassium gets low, I have AFib. And every time I have AFib, and they check, my potassium's low. So finally, one of them listened to me and prescribed it. And it's been on my, my uh, record for a while now. But um, And there are certain medications that deplete it, too. But um, it's... Uh, yeah, it's it plays a very important yeah. part in, in your in the electrical conduction of the heart, the physiology of the heart, and the whole nine yards. It's a a very oh, well. very important uh, element that we need in our bodies. Absolutely. And when I was in the hospital, I stayed from uh, Sunday night until Thursday. It was, I believe, uh, Monday evening, if I remember right. I'm trying to remember. Or maybe it was Tuesday evening. We I was in Bangor at the Eastern Maine Medical Center. We got hit with a chemtrail. That night, one after another was sprayed on us, came to ground level, and I was, I, I was having so much trouble breathing, I had a friend of mine bring my wet mask to me so that I could breathe through the night. It was absolutely horrible. Long story short, the nurse that was supposed to come and take me to a test never showed up. Um, now, then my IV ran out, and I uh, rang the front desk a couple times. They said they would send, but send somebody. Nobody came. And it wasn't until like eight o'clock the next morning. This went on all night. My alarm was going off of my IV every 10 to 15 minutes. And I had to keep hitting the mute button throughout the night and nobody would show up. The next morning, the nurse came to me. It was a male nurse. And he said, I am so sorry. I know you had the test. I know we missed this and you've called the death. He said, I don't know what happened, but last night, everybody got sick. This, wow. now, they had to call everybody in. There was respiratory. I mean, he, I was surprised the detail he was giving me. You know, he's like, people were having trouble, heart problems and respiratory problems. And and uh, so I, he was apologizing to me. I'm so sorry. I didn't. We missed this. We're, we will reschedule and everything will be OK. And how frustrating it is for me to sit there and know exactly what's going on. And I want to just scream it to the world. Right. But it was that night was the only night we got hit with that super, super hard plume all night. And that's the exact same night and the exact time that all the people in the hospital, or so many did, get sick. They had to call in all their personnel. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, know, in the- you don't have to be a rocket scientist, you know, to figure it out. I mean, you, you've presented the information today about what, what could happen. And now people, you know, just like you now, if somebody goes to the hospital and uh, and they've noticed a, you know, a large concentration of chemtrails the day that they went in, and nobody comes to help them, you know, they can kind of figure out what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. instead of blaming the hospital, you know, well, you guys didn't staff right and everything else. No, there was a reason why, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's, right. it's um, empirical proof. You know? It is. I mean, exactly. It, it, this is, you know, people, a lot of shills and trolls would try to get on me <laughs> and, and harass me early on. It doesn't happen so much anymore, but they would say, uh, you know, what are your credentials? What degree do you have? And I'm like, uh, what do you know about science? I say, first of all, science is a process of observation. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. It's a, it, it, the, the process, the primary component of science is observing and by observing, you draw hypothesis, you, uh, you test, you draw a theory, you test, and then you, you prove, or at least you come close to proving because as many say there, you really never prove anything, but that's another discussion around the time. The bottom line is, is the, that's the process. This is, this is happening from your eyes. There's a temporal relationship between the increase, the dramatic increase that now, um, uh, lung diseases, lung cancer, asthma, bronchitis, these diseases are now, depending on where you get your source, between number one and number three, while smoking is at an all-time low. Right. Why, why is this happening? Well, what's going to happen when you breathe in uh, millions or billions of highly toxic chemicals, components, uh, even if they're nanoparticles and they become embedded in your lung tissue and then your immune system has trouble keeping up, eventually you, will, you can develop cancers around those. We know mercury is cancerous. Mercury actually alters DNA. Right. Uh, we, we know that. We know a lot about mercury. There's been tons of research about mercury. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it doesn't take, like you said, it doesn't take a rocket scientist. The temporal relationship between crop problems, the California drought, uh, illnesses that, that are now uh, ubiquitous across around the world and, and in these different countries, they're kind of all ordered very similarly from, the t- from number one to ten, the top ten. Uh, this isn't just some wild coincidence, folks. This is right. all happening because we're all being exposed to something that causes a known outcome, and we are experiencing that known outcome. Mm-hmm. We're guinea pigs. Well, we are. We are. You know, we are the targets. I have people right. who've said to me um, uh, over the years in interviews. They say, "Well, I'm afraid to get involved because I'm afraid. I, you know, I'm, I might be targeted." I say, "You're already targeted." <laughs> yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of logic right there. Well, live life like you're looking at it from the future. Look back and say, why was I afraid? Why didn't I do something? Don't let your life be the kind of life where you end up regretting your inaction when you knew in your gut that you should have been hollering from the rooftops. You should have been fulfilling what your purpose was in life, you know. And especially, you know, not Amen just not just for you and me, but you know, for for children and grandchildren and great grandchildren, and who knows how long we have until the Lord returns, and who knows how long we have until everything uh, hits the rotary oscillator, so to speak. But you know, we have to live and and fight like like you know, this new world order isn't going to come into existence for another 250 years. You know, we have to fight for our, our descendants, our our, um, our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews and great nieces and great nephews, you know, and and, uh, you know, give them a chance, you know, that maybe we we won't have, you know, if we can get this eliminated. Jim, you were telling me and I know I know we got to close out soon, but uh, you were telling me that you heard that uh, Trump did something. And I want to run it by uh, Russ and see what he thinks about that. Well, the I just heard this, uh, I think today, that uh, Trump has now seized control of spring is, and is discontinuing it. Now, obviously, it's not, you know, he probably doesn't have a worldwide control yet or anything like that, but at least he is getting control of um, the spring, and his intention is to stop it. So. Yeah. I'm hoping, you know, there's 
when you begin to get into it, there's a reset happening, and I'm hoping that this is part of it right here. You know, it's there. I mean, we are so infiltrated with the new world order in our country that to take it down all at one time would collapse the entire infrastructure. So he has to peel away layers a little bit at a time. And that's what he's been doing. So some people are maybe complaining that, you know, things aren't happening fast enough. Well, they can't, you know, he has to do a little bit at a time. So he's being very strategic, very um, uh, surgical in what he's doing so that the whole infrastructure doesn't collapse. Um, you know, I, I, I truly believe in Mark Taylor's uh, prophecies and uh, Kim Clement and, and others that have, you know, prophesied about how God is using him like King Cyrus or Nebuchadnezzar. So um, I, it's happening, you know, so this will be interesting. I don't know. Um, I've noticed that today there was none where normally, you know, the sky should have been crisscrossed all over the place. So, and I, I have heard some other reports of people saying, well, nothing today. It was, you know, normal. So it, obviously it's not going to be everywhere all at one time, but apparently there is some evidence that maybe uh, we're not going to see it for a while. Um, this is only an interim peace period, though. It's not like, okay, now the Garden of Eden, every, you know, Jesus comes back and everything is rosy. And we're going to go on a pendulum swing from one extreme to another and back to an extreme, you know. But this reset is going to balance out everything. So Christians will get on all the same page. You know, people that either love them or hate them. And, and I know Christians that are even saying, Trump's the Antichrist. Well, no, he's not. And uh, I think it's God's way to just get us all on the same page so that we are truly one body and we're doing the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to the kingdom of uh, God. Uh, if we want to hurry things up, do that, and that's what hurries it up. And you got to uh, be alive and healthy to do it. So. <laughs> well, and that's yeah. the other thing, too. Yeah, it, it helps to, I mean, we can pray and believe God to heal us, but we have to do our part. I mean, there is this responsible part to it. I remember one time I said, you know, well, if I, I get cured of the esophageal cancer, the next thing I'm going to do is get cured of diabetes. And as soon as I get cured, I'm going to have me a bumpy cake. I'm going to eat, you know, double, triple chocolate ice cream. And, you know, I'm not going to get healed that way, am I? <laughs> because, I mean, the thing is, see, I haven't learned anything. If I'm not going to learn to eat right, take care of my body, do the parts that I can as being a response, just a responsible for the temple, which is my body that, that God is dwelling in. Um, I'm just going to go back and do the same stupid stuff that got me in the position before. I mean, my whole life, I'm, you know, I'm 68. My whole life, I lived on a seafood diet. I see it, I eat it, and I don't think about it. That's why I became, you know, in that situation in the first place. I mean, all the chemistries, it was all designed for me anyway, but I'm sitting there helping out like crazy, you know? Um, you got to undo that. Yeah. You got to rethink everything. Yep. And that's our responsible, reasonable job on our part. So, yeah, you know, you take care of the temple, man. Well, Russ has helped us to understand a lot about what's Heck, being yeah. done to our temple tonight, and he's helped us yep. to understand, especially, you know, especially in the last 20 minutes, uh, some of the things that we can do um, some of the things that we can take to try to detoxify our body from all of these yucky things that have been put in there all these years, you know, and I really appreciate that, Russ. I really do. Cause I've written everything down. <laughs> so, oh, 
Oh, you're very welcome. Anytime I can, you know, just contact me. I'm more than happy to share whatever I've learned. So, yeah, uh, I'm, you know, I'd be happy to share it. Yeah, I mean, if someday you wanted to come back on and just approach it from a total um, uh, med, uh, natural medicine point of view of how to, um, you know, we we know what the problem is now. How do we how do we um, guard ourselves from it? And we, you know, you gave us a glimpse tonight using the uh, these different uh, compounds and stuff that we can go and try to uh, accumulate and take. Um, but, uh, you know, if, if, if you think that uh, that would that would be something in the future you'd be interested in doing, because I know that you, you run a company that does such a thing. Um, maybe that yeah, would absolutely. be something that, if you're game, you know, I don't want to. Oh, I'm absolutely I'm game. And I'm, I'm I, the company I run is we actually provide the scientific research to the herbalists and the in the naturopathic doctors. And although we do sell herbs in my interviews and publicly, I don't advertise it uh, just so people, so nobody can accuse me of, of doing this for money. It's not about money. I could care less about the money. Right. It's about truth and fulfilling what, you know, what, what I should be doing in my life. When I know something is wrong, I need to expose it and tell the truth for the protection of the people. Right. So, that's that's what my job is, and that's why I'm doing it. So, absolutely, okay. I'm very game, and uh, that's my that's that's uh, that's our business field. So, anytime you'd like to do that, I'm I'm uh, be more than happy to. I'll be getting a hold of you real soon about that because I think it's something a good follow up that we need to do. So. Yeah, yeah. Now that we know what the problem is, that's eighty percent of solving it. Now we know what the pr list of things are that are being used. Now we know how to help the body cope with them and that's critical critical i mean we can't we can't acquire surface air missiles to shoot these planes out of the sky or anything so we got it well and, and i would never i would never ever recommend that either. right I mean, neither would i yeah we, we don't promote violence and uh, we don't uh, uh you know do anything like that it's not about that it's about saving life you know right. even the life of these pilots as angry as i might feel at a pilot who is participating in this um, those pilots have been lied to. They think that they're serving, according to whistleblowers, they're serving the national uh, best interests of the, of the U.S. military. They're being lied to. And uh, at least some of them don't know what they're doing. I don't know if all of them don't know what they're doing, but at least some of them don't. So, well, um, Some of so, them yeah, do it's, it's because of, I, yeah. saw, I saw a video not too long ago. It was basically um, a couple of guys in a some kind of military aircraft and they were, sh they were flying above a plane that was chemtrailing. And the one guy goes, don't fly into that. Or it'll kill you. You know? So. Yep. Yeah. I, I saw that. I saw that. And, and, um, and uh, it, it's, you know, we don't know what they're being told. And I, and I know I heard, I heard uh, whistleblowers say that they were being told it was for the, the benefit of the United States military and part of a missile track. You know, they're being told different things, right? But, the whole idea is to bless life, to serve life, and to bring truth to people. So um, that's what it's about, you know. I know for your radio show, getting truth out, and right. and it, that's what it's about for me. So uh, so we will peacefully march forward doing those things. Hey Amen. I was ex-military, and I I was in the army, and I was. We called ourselves uh, mushrooms because we were kept in the dark and fed uh, horse hockey. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I mean, you know, it's just it, as far as we we're concerned, we were, you know, doing for God and country and um, 
wasn't quite that way. This was in 1969. So, you know, the scenario that went on with all of that. Right. But in our hearts, we were serving man and country. So, yeah, I wouldn't want to take a life away like that. I just, uh, you know. Absolutely. And my heart goes out to those who served. It really does because um, I've known, I know people who have served and many of them that I know, in fact, most of them are suffering with what appears to be mercury toxicity and mycoplasma. And I learn after talking to them that they got anywhere from 25 to 100 shots um, when they were when they entered the military. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. And, and you get quite no, a few. <laughs> there's no accountability. Yeah. There's one one guy, actually one of my employees. Um, he said basically it was the size of a football field in his case. And he would take one step about one yard, get a shot. Then another yard, get a shot for the length of a football field. Oh, my goodness. And that, yep. And then he ended up he's suffering from ailments that are well known to be associated with mercury now, even though otherwise he's the pitcher of health. He takes care of himself, but yet he's suffering. And uh, my heart goes out to, to them. They have oh, done. For sure. Oh, my gosh, what they've done to 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 our brothers, you know, in this country. Oh, boy. That's terrible. Tough subject. Tough subject. Well, we know that God is in control and that he'll ultimately win. So we got to keep looking forward to that day, you know, Absolutely. Hoping for that day. Absolutely. Well, Russ, it's been, it's been a pleasure, man. I'm, I can't tell you how much it was a pleasure. It's been to have you on tonight and uh, we'll look yeah, forward thanks, to another Russ. one soon. Oh, thank you guys. My pleasure. It's such, so great to talk with you. You guys are so great. You are too, thank man. <laughs> well, you take care of yourself and the, the Lord bless you. And, um, we will we'll talk to you soon about doing a follow-up show, okay? Uh, absolutely. Bless you guys for what you're doing, and I look forward to talking to you all again. Okay, great. Good all night, right. brother. Good night, uh, man. Good night. Good night, brother. Bye-bye.